Hey, what's going on, everybody? Matt Holmes here with the Vigilant Life Podcast. And I'm excited for everybody to listen to this episode. And honestly, I know with the topic and our guest, there's probably going to be people that are like, Matt, you know, never going to tune in again because for whatever reason. And I know some people are going to be the opposite spectrum. I'm be super excited and listen to this whole podcast that we have with Janae Marie Kroc. It is a long one. I will prepare you for that. It was about two hours and we could have just kept going. We talked about a lot of things from transgender athletes, you know, how the media portrays that, you know, how everybody's approaching it. We talk about Janae's transformation from being one of the top and actually in actually really one of the top power lifters in the world, breaking world records when Janae was known as Matt Croc before she transitioned and many, many other things. So this was a great podcast. Janae was a great guest and gracious with her time. And again, thank you for being a guest. And I appreciate everybody else for tuning into this and hope you enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Matt Holmes here with the Vigilant Life Podcast. Super excited for this episode, as you guys just heard on the intro. Janae is actually somebody that I interviewed, like a few other guests, years and years ago when I was in the strength and conditioning world for the YouTube channel that I've mentioned that I did. But at the time, Janae was known as Matt which obviously is the same name <laughs> as mine. So we got along great there. Um, so for those of you that, that might know who Matt or Janae is, I'm just going to give a brief intro based on Janae's new YouTube channel that came out that really, I think, sums it up. And then we're going to dive into it from there. So in the intro with Janae's new uh, YouTube channel in the video, she talks about she's a world record power lifter a Marine veteran that was on the presidential security, a cancer survivor, author, pharmacist, parent to three boys, and is now a transgender woman. So obviously, this is going to be a great podcast. I'm super excited. I'm sure some people, and this is you and I were talking about this before we started, that it's a very very different things. So some people are like, Oh my God, like, I don't know, is this podcast for me? Or they're going to be like, wow, I really have to listen to this. And you know, my, my goal is not only to get your story out there. And I know you just have tons and tons of great experience and just great information that we'll be able to talk about, but hopefully <laughs> to kind of shed a light on some other stuff. And for me to actually talk to somebody that's involved with more of this and questions that I have and, you know, talking about, you know, transgenders in sports and things like that, that I know are mm -hmm. just, people don't know it's so new and like how to navigate. And it's great to get your view on all this. And just, I think, you know, talking about things on not only awareness, but, you know, as you talked about with, within your YouTube video intros too, of having the drive and forgetting about what other people think and say and just being yourself and really kind of going for your goals. So, so again, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, thank you for having me on and giving me a chance to share my story. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. You know, like I said, it's been, it's been some time since we talked before and we talked all kinds of stuff about, you know, training and, and all this, cause it's really what a lot of people know you for mm -hmm. when, you were Matt as a lot of this hardcore training, you know, with the logs and, you know, the croc row, which is still <laughs> one of my favorite exercises to do in the gym anyways, you know, so a lot of people knew you for that. And then being sponsored before by these big companies, being a world record power lifter, 
And then now when you transitioned, you know, it was just kind of, you know, it was all over the place because it was so different. Mm -hmm. And then you had the documentary come out as well. So what's that been like for you? Because it's so different. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's, it's been crazy. I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, the thing was, so like, I, I knew, I mean, I knew I was trans since I was a small child. I mean, I didn't know how to describe it back then. But I knew I, I had these feelings by, you know, the time I was five or six, and just always felt like I was supposed to be female. But at the same time, I grew up in an environment, you know, I grew up in a small north a town in northern Michigan. And, um, you know, back in the basically the 80s, mostly was my childhood. And that wasn't a time where it was okay to be open about those things. And, and I knew that, but even when, as a young child, I knew it was okay for little boys and I knew it was okay for little girls. And I knew beyond a doubt, if I told people how I felt, it was not going to be received well. So, you know, grew up with suppressing all of this and just terrified of anyone ever finding out. Well, for anyone like me, it, it, there just comes a point in your life, you know, where you can't do that anymore. It, it's just too big a part of who you are and it tears you apart. And, um, you know, unfortunately people, there's a lot of people that end up committing suicide because they see their lives as being hopeless and never think that they're going to be able to, you know, live as their true selves. And then, or you get to the point where I did and, and, and not to say that I didn't get to that point as well. I mean, I went through some pretty dark times with it when no one had any idea, but I thought my life was great. But then I eventually got to a point where I was like, look, I got to deal with this and um, started that whole process, which was really difficult. But so what happened for people that aren't familiar with the story is that I was already out to my family and friends. I had started coming out um, basically in my early 30s. So that was like over close to 15 years ago now. So I started coming out. It was really difficult at first. I, I, you know, I was sure that I was going to lose all my friends. My family was going to reject me. I, I just pictured worst case scenario. And at this time, like I was, you know, becoming a very popular power lifter. I was on the cover of magazines. I, you know, I eventually broke all time world record in my weight class. And so I was having all this success. You know, I was, I had graduated from college. I was working as a pharmacist. I had three young boys and on the surface, my life seemed perfect, right? I was kind of living the dream, you know, pro athlete, good job, you know, family with three boys that I was super close to. But inside, I was dealing with all these feelings and emotions. And so I started coming out little by little to the people closest to me at first. And it was really, really hard. But um, fortunately, almost all of my friends supported me. Mixed reaction in my family, like with extended family and stuff. Some of the people that were closest to me backed away and and then, you know, some people that I wasn't as close to ended up being more supportive. But and then I started slowly coming out to like, like I came out to a couple of my sponsors, the people I was close to, like Dave Tate at Elite Fitness, like Dave yeah. Tate and Jim Wendler. I told those guys way back, like 15 years ago. And uh, yeah, I told Jim in 2006 and Dave in 2007, and they were super supportive. Dave was awesome about it. And it was like, a, it became like this inside kind of, I don't want to say joke because it's not a joke, but like this thing we used to, we used to joke around about, but then pretty soon I was out to like all the other sponsored athletes and stuff. And I was pretty open about it. Like with the guys I competed with at the, you know, like world championship level. So there were people in the sport that knew, but it was all the people close to me or like people on that same level. Now, granted, I didn't show up at the world championships all dialed up and stuff like that. <laughs> But everybody was aware of it. Yeah, it was almost and, um, like you showed up as Matt still. Like yeah. The, the public persona that everybody knew. 
Yeah. Well, I was still kind of living and that's basically how I was living. So I was, you know, I was going out as Janae and, um, do, you know, I'd go shopping. I, you know, sometimes I would just do regular routine things. I would go out on the weekends as Janae, you know, I basically had two entire wardrobes and I was kind of living like this dual life. And I was open about that, but, but I kept those two worlds very separate. And the biggest reason was because I was trying to make sure we, I was concerned that my boys would have a very difficult time if I was completely outed. Like if they're, you know, I was worried like how their teachers, their coaches, their peers would react. And I didn't want them to suffer, you know, with bullying or being treated unfairly because of who I was. They went to a fairly conservative school in a conservative area. And we just didn't know um, how people would react or how bad it would be. And, and because I was, you know, somewhat open about it, we discussed many times in case like word got out. I, I knew, I knew there was a chance like with people knowing that, you know, people talk and, it, you know, it's a kind of a crazy thing. So we knew that there was a chance that I could be outed publicly at some point. So we had discussed all of this, like me and my boys and how we'd handle it if that did happen. But what I was really waiting for was for my youngest to graduate from high school. Then I was going to come completely out about everything, get into activism and, uh, you know, move forward from there. And I had discussed this with Dave. I had discussed it with some, um, a lot of other people that were close to me. And um, we all kind of came to the agreement. That's probably the best way to handle it. Well, in 2015, you know, word did get out. Somehow this YouTube vlogger, caught wind of it and he outed me. And, um, and I, you know, I knew it would be kind of a big deal, at least in the powerlifting world, but I didn't realize like it went mainstream right away. It went viral. Yeah. yeah I remember it, it was like yeah. everywhere almost overnight. It seemed like. Yeah. Instantly. I mean, I was at work at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning and my phone starts blowing up. And at first it's all my friends telling me, dude, you just got outed. And I'm like, great. And they're like, yeah, it's everywhere. And and uh, so I'm like, oh, crap. And um, but then within a half an hour, I've got Inside Edition, TMZ, like all these people texting my phone and calling me. And I'm at work in the middle of the workday at, the, at a pharmacy, you know, trying to and I'm just like, what in the heck? And it, it just in like the way it was, you know, all over the Web. And so, you know, so I was like, well, crap, I said. And I, I remember just thinking to myself you know, I'm trying to, and in between working, like I pulled up, I got online and pulled up some of the articles and they were getting a lot of stuff wrong. So I was just like, and, and the same, and the same stuff was getting reposted over and over again. So they were basically screwing the story up right from the start. So I was like, you know what, if my story is going to be told, I want to be the one to tell it. Yeah. You want to so get I, ahead of all like the misinformation going on. And exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So then I, so I called all these people back and said, yes, I'll do the interviews. And basically for the next like month, I did nonstop radio, podcasts, TV, like all this stuff. It, it turned my life upside down and my biggest sponsor dropped me. It caused problems at work. It, uh, I was already out at work, but like this definitely threw a bigger wrench into the mix. Yeah, it's like the spotlight all of a sudden where everybody knows like, hey, whatever you want to do is your thing. But now, like you said, all these news yeah. agencies and everything, it, it makes yeah. it, it just causes throws stuff into the mix that can just affect daily work, let alone yeah. your normal life. Yeah. Yeah. It just turned everything upside down. And then like, you know, and then, you know, I had a, you know, at that point, at that time, you know, probably because of the muscle tech ads and my, and being one of elite's main athletes, you know, I was one of the most well-known people in the sport and uh, it just, you know, so I had a big following and 
Um, I, I would say the reaction among the fan base was most of the strength athletes in the strength world supported me. I was actually surprised by how much support there was. I knew my friends would all have my back, but I had a lot of like big names in the sport reach out to me, like, you know, Ed Cohn and, you know, people like that and send me private messages and supporting me and saying, Hey, you know, I think that's, I think that's awesome. You know, I, yeah, I think you're a great person and you know, I, I, I support you in this. So it was really cool to see stuff like that. That made me feel a lot better. But I think, I think that's important to kind of point out too. like people would think, you know, and I'm sure like, you know, way more about it cause you live it compared to like, mm-hmm. you know, me, that's someone that sees it and knows you and, you know, has followed all of this on the outside. But it, it's important to point out, like you're saying, like all these, like what people would look at as like the most macho and tough and this and that, like people out there in these sports are like, hey, you're a great person, whatever you want to do, like no fucks given basically. And yeah. they just supported you where those others, I would say, you know, when I classified as others, cause I don't know what else, you know, right. classified as, but people are like, oh, you know, they would think like, oh, that's not macho or this or that. And then you see all these people like, whatever. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, it's so weird that just how yeah. people interact with them. It, what, you know, whether that's just cause like so we've talked about whether they just don't understand it for whatever reason, it makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Who knows if they have something on the inside that they don't want to let out. Like yeah. there's so many possibilities, but it's, it's just something yeah. that I wanted to bring up. It's like, look at like it, has nothing to do with being macho or not macho if like you're okay with it or not okay with it. Right. Yeah. And and like you said, the high level people for the most part were very supportive, which I was thankful for. And I appreciated. Mm -hmm. And not to say there weren't anybody there weren't not to say that. And I would never name names, but there were a couple of big names that like mocked me and made fun of me and stuff like that. And I was disappointed. It was people that I knew, but no one close to me, but you know, people I had crossed paths with or whatever. And, and I was surprised by some of them and and little things like there was one big name power lifter that, you know, made a Facebook post like the day I came out or day after or something and kind of mocking trans people in general. So it was obviously directed at me. Um, And I was kind of surprised by that. But, and then, um, and then there was, you know, I heard stuff too. There was a couple of like strength seminars a while later where, you know, people are teaching and then I, and then because the thing is people should know, like I know tons and tons of people. So if they, you know, talk crap, it's going to get back to me. So there were people at these seminars and, um, there was one seminar and I said, I'm not going to name names of who it was or anything, but apparently like they were, um, taking photos, you know, like, like, you know, like usually in seminars, everybody's getting pictures with the presenters and stuff. And one of the presenters jumped in a photo with a bunch of women and said, Oh, I identify as female. I'm Matt Kroc. And like, but like, I guess in a very mocking way. Yeah. And, and this person didn't even know it, but a lot of people that they did that in front of didn't think it was cool. And they told, you know, they messaged me and told me about it, you know, but whatever. I mean, they're, you know, not everyone's going to understand and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely entitled to their opinions. But these are the same people that would never have the courage to say that to my face, of course. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. it's yeah, like not really face to face. People say it in the back, and, and in the end, it's yeah. like, well, okay, now people are understanding, you know, mm-hmm. the character of these people as well, too. Exactly, and um, yeah, and then you know, and then the reaction among the fan base was was pretty much split. I, I would say like fifty fifty. I did have a lot of people initially 
you know, sending me nasty messages and horrible stuff. People telling me that they burned the posters I had signed for them. And then, uh, you know, accusing me one, one of the craziest ones, somebody accused me of faking the whole thing for publicity and that I was selling out. I think out I remember and, that. <laughs> yeah. Just nonsense. Like, okay, if I'm going to like try to do something for publicity, this was like the worst idea ever. <laughs> well, let's see, let's get my sponsors to drop me half, lose half my fan base. Um, yeah, you know, get it totally backfired. The, out. Yeah, yeah. I need to fire my PR guy if that was. Uh, if that you was know, it's crazy to me, like how it's almost like when you talk about sports, like the fans are the ones that almost ruin sports sometimes and make things like go so nasty and like dark and deep places in, yeah. in all sports. Like you know, the, the yeah. athletes for the most like. Everybody's great, but it's like the fans that take it to this whole other level where they're like either great or it's like, man, you are a really horrible yeah. human being. Yeah, well, I think it's because so many of the fans live through their the athletes they look up to, right? So it's like mm -hmm. they become like your identity almost becomes part of their identity. You know, mm -hmm. these people like they, when you do something good, they brag to everybody about it. And, and then, but then if something bad happens, then they take flack for it. So I'm sure there's probably a number of people that had tons of posters of me up or whatever, or were like big fans and would talk about my stuff and then got made fun of after I came out and they're like, Oh yeah, how's your superhero doing now? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I'm sure that, makes you know, sense. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that, uh, you know, sparked some people, but and then like you said too, whenever it's one thing to say, I don't like this or I don't understand it, or even I don't agree with it. But when people have these over the top reactions, like getting really angry or threatening or, you know, I, you know, I got threatened with, of course, never to my face, never in person, but I, you know, anonymous messages, you know, from some troll account on the internet, but threatening violence and stuff like that. There's something, there's a reason why that upsets them so much to go to that point. And generally what I found, and you know, you hear this, but it, it is absolutely true. Like 99% of the time, it's either because they have similar feelings that you're making them feel very uncomfortable about, mm -hmm. or in my case, like they find you attractive and then that really messes them up. They don't, what, you know, then that, that messes with their head because they're like, okay, what does it say about my sexuality? And you know, they never really think about it that deep, but it just makes them really, really angry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's, and that's a lot of it, but yeah, there's been some crazy stuff. I had one person basically harass me for nine months straight oh every single day. And they created, you know, dozens of fake profiles on Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter and like all of their whole goal was to blackmail me into webcamming with them. What and um, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, right. I, I, I messaged with them once the very first time when they started, because they had sent me, they, you know, they had sent me initially this person, like, that's the only thing too. Oh my God. Like not to get off topic here, but after I first came out and everybody found out about my Janae profile, I got a very good taste of what it's like to be a, you know, a woman with public profiles on the internet. I, I got, I'm not even kidding you. I got more dick pics and oh my God. Hara sexually harassing emails from men than, than you can possibly count. Like it was ridiculous. It's um, so crazy. Like, you know, it, which I don't even think is, is off topic. If we got talk about that, you know, and the whole thing on a vigilant life, which yeah you know, having a vigilant life and in focusing on these areas of fitness, finance, mm -hmm. relationships, you know, self mindset and all of that is like that. 
that's not a vigilant lie. Like if that's how you're going to treat people in general and especially like treating women, like it's crazy. The stuff my wife's told me, like when we've even been together, like she still gets messages now and like not really dick pics anymore, but mm -hmm. she'll have these guys, you know, that like the whole stupid wave or poke shit on Facebook or like, Hey, how are you doing on this? And it's like, Oh my God, do you not like we laugh because they're like, Hey, how like say things and like, they don't even look at her profile and see like, there's, we've got seven kids. Like she's married, like no idea. It's like, they just send stuff out and like maybe somebody will reply back. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, like, and you'll see these same guys, like you can tell what they're into because like for me, so there's a whole, there's communities out there that a lot of people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So there's an entire, you know, I don't know if you're a community or subset of people or whatever, but that are into really muscular women. There's yeah. a whole another large group of people that are into trans women. And a lot of this is very, it's like very creepy and stuff because these people are all closeted about the fact that they're into these things. So it's all in, and you get it from all over the world. But what's interesting is that the majority of that stuff comes from places that are very homophobic, very transphobic, very mm-hmm. like, um, you know, like 1950s culture, very patriarchal male dominated where things like the old school cultures where you can't be out about being gay or being trans mm-hmm. and those things. And that's not all of it, but that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. And, um, and it, but it's just, yeah, it's nonstop. The, the sexual harassment online, the, you know, constant, you know, guys coming, you know, just the, the cheesy messages, trying to flirt like dick pics, all that stuff. It, it's nonstop every single day. And anytime you post a photo that anyone considers attractive, you're going to you get more of it. And, um, and then for me, so like I, yeah, like I said, between the people that are into muscular women and the people that are into trans women, I get like a double whammy, like of all those people and the crazy stuff, like, you know, you get all these guys that want you to beat them up or wrestle them or carry them or crush them, like all this, you know, and whatever, whatever you're into, whatever floats your boat, that's cool. But the thing is, is that they're very like harassing about it and they get angry if you don't reply. They, yeah. It's you know, like, like you said, it's almost, I think because it's so like, whether you want to like term it as like closeted, but very like closed in an mm-hmm. area that yeah. it, when that stuff comes out, it's, it's it goes to like that deep place. Like I remember my wife and I watched, I, he- I heard about the documentary on Hulu God, I can't remember what it's called, but it was about like all the tickling and stuff like that. And it was like, oh my, like Mm. some of those people in the dark places that went to, and it's like, you would think like, oh, it's fun and lighthearted, but like it goes to like a dark place at the same time, because like you said, people are so like closed off about like, I don't know. Whenever, whenever things become like a source of like shame and guilt, then it, it gets, it, it gets, things get really weird and get really, can get really ugly because this mm-hmm. person's got a lot of really intense emotions tied up around it and it's all secretive and they're, and they're secretly ashamed of it. So it's like, you know, I'm getting all these messages. They're all, they're all fake accounts, not all of them. I mean, there are some people, but like, you know, early on and, and, and early on, I tried having discussing with some of the people that seemed a little more reasonable, like tried being civil and it just, it just goes to the same place. It's a complete waste of time. And mm-hmm. explaining that you're not into them or not interested doesn't matter to them. They're going to keep, you know, doing stuff. And um, I was also shocked by, I mean, so that's a big part of it. Um, and then, or I would get, you know, get messages too, like saying nasty things to me. But then like, if I, 
and, I, and sometimes I could tell, like someone would come across really aggressive and say a bunch of nasty transphobic stuff, very hateful. And I would recognize right away, I'll bet this person's got the same kind of issues. And then if I mm -hmm. tried, and if I could talk to him a little bit and be like, Hey, you know, like, come on, like what's really going on? What are you so upset about? I'm telling you 99 times out of a hundred, they would end up admitting to me. Well, yeah, I, well, I dress up in private, but I'm not like you. And then, but if you could get them to talk, the more they talk, the more they came out about everything. And it was just like, listen, you know, it's all right. Like, it's okay. Be who you are, you know, kind of mm -hmm. thing. But they would be so angry and, and get so upset about things. And, um, but then too, there's, there was a whole, I was shocked by the number of guys that would message you from their real profile and you, you go to their profile, you see that they're married have kids like, you know, in their Facebook or whatever is covered with nothing about how much they love their family, love God and blah, blah, blah. But yet they're, you know, sending me dick pics and, you know, wanting to meet up um, in private and stuff like that. It was, you know, yeah, was I remember, you know, like I growing up in LA and it was always, you know, my mom had tons and tons of friends that were in the gay community and talking to some of them and hearing how much they would say, like, there's, whatever life somebody wants to live, I'm all like, Hey, that's your choice. As long as you're like not harming and hurting, like exactly. those kinds of things, whatever you want to do. But they would tell me all the time, like you would be surprised of how many men like have their life and they're married and it's like, they're totally happy. Mm -hmm. Like you would never know. And then oh, yeah. they would go to like new Orleans or they go to Vegas, like all these things, yep. like, and then totally different. And when I found that, I was like, no way. I'm like, Oh my God, like blows so my mind. It's so common. Well, and it, it's all from the most, and, it, and that happens the most in the most closeted cultures, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the big one, the big jokes in the gay community is about how for gay male prostitutes, their best business is whatever, whatever Republican convention is in town. I mean, that's like a well-known thing. If the whole bunch of like a big Republican convention is going on, there's going to be tons of people looking for gay hookups. And I mean, it's something, you know, you can kind of laugh at it or poke fun at it, but the reality is there's just so many people that are still living closeted lives, especially if they come from an area or a background or have families that are not supportive of those things. So they have like this secret life that their family or their friends and no one else knows anything about, but it is way more common than people think. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's really sad. And it's the same thing. That's one thing too, like since I've come out, you would not believe the number of people that have messaged me. And this is really a good thing that it's, you know, moving in a better direction and I'm able to try to, you know, help some of these people, but how many people out there that like had lives similar to mine, like, you know, we're seen, are seen as these like macho tough guys, power lifters, athletes, military veterans, all this stuff that are trans. I mean, it is so common. It is so much more common than, than anybody thinks. I got out in 2015. So we're talking five years later. I still get messages like that daily. In the, on the good side of all this too, though, is all the people, like the families, like the messages that I get from parents, you know, thanking me for the documentary or thanking me for being open about everything that it's helped them understand their own child more and be supportive. And I mean, the ones that are really touching and choke me up, I, I couldn't tell you how many fathers I've had, you know, message me and say, you know, and say, thank you because they're able to understand their child and support their child where before they weren't, they were totally like, did not understand it, had no interest in getting to understand it and thought that they could change them and, and thought what they had to do was basically reject any idea of them being trans and force them to be the, you know, either the man or the little girl they were supposed to be. 
Mm-hmm. But then after seeing, they realize like that's only going to bring their child harm. That's only going to cause more depression. That's only going to drive them away. And it's going to increase their risk of suicide. So it's awesome that by me being open and out that I've been able to, you know, help influence those things and help educate people and help parents be more understanding their children, help people be embrace their own identities and be true to themselves. And, you know, you were talking about like, what is a vigilant life? And for me, that's like more than anything, it's about being authentic, being real, being who you are and embracing that and not being ashamed of it and realizing it's okay to be different. Not everybody's alike and there's nothing wrong with that. And so, you know, the vigilant life for me is just all about, like I said, being authentic, being real, embracing who you are, chasing your dreams and not letting anyone deter you from that. And um, so that's like, I mean, my biggest goals with like being open on social media and my new YouTube channel and, you know, doing things like the documentary is just helping. And you don't have to be trans. You don't have to be part of the LGBT community. But like, I think all of us in one way or another, there's things we hide or there's ways we feel different from other people. And we're afraid of people finding out. So in that way, I think there's a lot of people that can relate to my story, even if they're not trans or or lifter or, you know, have any of those common links to me in their lives, but can understand what it's like to feel different and to feel alone and to feel like no one, people aren't going to like you or aren't going to accept you if you tell them who you really are. And I think what, you know, what I found is that it's, if you're comfortable in who you are and confident in who you are, other people are going to react to that regardless of what it is. And like, for Mm -hmm. me, like when I first started going out in public and I first started being open about it, I was terrified. I was so scared. I was so nervous and it wasn't uncommon for me to like act, um, you know, to be um, awkward and like interacting with people, get nervous, feel uncomfortable. And I could tell that made them awkward. And then just we, this, this whole situation became really like, anxiety filled and weird and then like fast forward now to where I'm at I mean I you know like I mean I present feminine most of the time and but my appearance is you know due to a number of factors just my size the fact that I can't grow my hair out you know hormones haven't changed my body as much as I was hoping they would and I, um, and I know you've talked to it like you still lift heavy like you still work out yeah. so it's not like you're Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not nearly as big as strong as I used to be. I mean, when I was focused on bodybuilding, I got all the way up to about 280 pounds Yeah, and, um, and I'm slightly under five, nine and I don't have a large frame. And um, so I was carrying a ton of muscle around. I've lost, I probably lost about 50 pounds of muscle and I've been as low. I I went all the way down to like 200 pounds. And then I kind of, my weight's kind of yo-yoed back and forth because, you know, sometimes I really miss competing and I miss being stronger and bigger. And so mm-hmm. I'll put some size back on, get up to around 250 and then, you know, then realize like, no, I, this isn't really what I want to, you know, to be my primary focus anymore. And then I kind of thin down. So it kind of goes back and forth a little bit, but, but I'm still, as far as being a woman in society goes, I'm about as big a girl as you're going to see. And I definitely stand out <laughs> and I'm totally fine with that now. And like, a lot of days I'm all dialed up, dialed up and, you know, I'm wearing long hair and makeup and, you know, like for anybody who saw me at the Arnold last weekend, you know, I, that's me, that's Janae. And I'm, you know, I look like this super Jack girl running around and, but it's not always like with me. And unfortunately, like I said, not being able to grow my hair out and I'm a very active person. I love the outdoors. I love the water and I mount, I love to mountain bike and do all these things where, you know, wigs aren't practical. Um, it makes it really mm-hmm. hard. They're hot, they're itchy. You know, it's not really something to wear go with a helmet going bike riding and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't have all this, you know, 
long hair, my wig slipping forward, cover my eyes in the middle of a downhill, you know, but, um, and the sad thing for me is if, if I'm not wearing makeup and I don't have a wig on, uh, it's very hard for me to be read as female. I think I probably, but I still like 90 plus percent of my clothes are women's clothes, you know, all my jeans, my tops, what I wear, my nails are always painted. I always carry a purse. But I think a lot of times I just get read as maybe a queer person or, you know, and I do identify as non-binary and gender fluid as well. Cause like my, um, and we could talk more about that later, like why I identify those ways and what exactly that means. I'm, I'm blurry. I don't fit neatly in any one box. Yeah, no, yeah. go for it. Like, let's yeah. kind of go, go down that way. Cause I, I, you know, okay. that's something people are like, well, I like, how does that work? I don't get it. Right. Like, you know, the basic science is you're born this way or you're born this way. Right, right. So, okay. So like, as far as identity goes, um, and who we are, I mean, the thing is too, like, okay, so labels are simply a means to describe things, right. To try to explain things and people like to categorize things to make them easier to understand. But the thing is, as humans, we're incredibly complex and any label doesn't describe one person perfectly. I mean, where there's just, there's a whole bunch of variants. Like you can say, okay, there's two people that are male, but those two people could be you know, there are times where they couldn't be extremely feminine. One that's into military weightlifting and all these traditional masculine things and someone else that's into at the other end of the spectrum. Like, so just because two people are male doesn't mean they have anything in common or they're anything alike. Mm -hmm. And so like, and it's, it's the same thing with trans people. I mean, the fact that I'm transgender and why I identify as transgender, because I do have a female gender identity. Like by the time I was five years old, I already had this feeling that I was supposed to be female. And I've always felt more like I felt more comfortable as, you know, identifying as a woman than I do like just someone calling me a male or referring to me with male pronouns just doesn't feel right. And it's not who I am. And it's what I struggled with my whole life. When I looked in the mirror, the thing is the very first time in my life that I put on makeup, had a decent wig and looked in the mirror and actually saw a woman looking back at me, that was like a life changing moment that I'll never forget that it literally brought me to tears, but it was what it was. It was seeing my real self for the first time in my entire life. It was like, you know, living until you're an adult, never having seen yourself. And that first time was like, Oh my God, that's me. That's who I am. So that's my identity. That's who I am. But then also, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a typical, most people think of a, a trans person as somebody who goes from point A to point B, you know, you're, you're born one gender and you want to change it and be the other. And it's not that simple for me. There are aspects of my personality that are very masculine. That doesn't mean I identify as a male. It just means that I have very masculine aspects to my personality. And that's why I was so, it was so easy for me to hide behind like my lifting and the sports and, you know, the military, I truly enjoyed all those things. And those are areas that I thrived in. I mean, anybody who followed my career, I was known not just as a crazy power lifter, but like the crazy power lifter. Yeah. I was known, you know, as being the craziest, the most intense. I mean, to the point where like my close friends, when I came out to some of them, they thought it was a prank. They didn't believe it. They're like, there's no way. They're like, mm -hmm. out of everyone in the entire world, you are the last person we would think could ever be like that. And these were the people closest to me. Um, they had no idea. And, um, but that's because I do have those aspects to my personality. But the thing was, that's all they ever saw. All the feminine stuff, all the other things about my identity, I hid out of fear. Like, I, you know, based on what, you know, what I was afraid would happen, the friends I would lose, how I'd be treated, you know, how my family would be treated, what would happen to my kids. So, but fear is such a powerful motivator that way. But, um, 
so anyway, so that's like, I identify as trans because I, you know, I definitely like, I'm, I would describe myself as a woman with very masculine aspects to my personality. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of very feminine aspects to my personality as well. And anyone who's been in a relationship with me will, will tell you that. I mean, I heard for years as an adult, I was out to every single girl I ever dated. Um, I told them ahead of time. I either told them like before our first date, on our first date, or like right off the bat because I didn't think it was fair to them or to me. Yeah. But you going into this, you know, but when I was competing and stuff, like I said, I'm walking around 280 pounds and, you know, they girls would see this person, you know, on a competition stage, you know, winning and being like this, you know, alpha male type. And they were attracted to that and drawn to that. And then even though I, they, I was open about being trans and these things, they still saw this super masculine person. But then we would start dating and they would like in intimate situations and just they'd get to know me as a person. And, you know, they would be like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm dating a woman, even though I'm standing there, this big, muscular, very masculine looking, you know, person. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, they, and I would be like, yeah, well, you, you actually are, <laughs> you know, I don't know what to tell you because that's, yeah, yeah, that's really where you're at. Even, you know, despite the packaging, what's on the inside, you know, what's on the core, that, that's who I am. How has all that been with you? Because I know, you know, unless something changed, you are dating another woman right now, correct? Yes. Yeah. She's, um, her name's Olivia and she's amazing. And, and the funny thing was, so she's primarily dated women her whole life. I mean, she identifies as lesbian and, mm -hmm. um, and I, and I think dating me has maybe made her think more in broader terms as, as far as like dating people and stuff like that. I mean, she's still attracted to femininity. She's still attracted to women and, and all of that. But I think like with a lot of people, you assume you, you know, like a very narrow, you know, there's just a specific type. And, and then, well, yeah, I bet so, a lot of people yeah. would think like, wait, you're dating a woman. Wouldn't you date a guy? Cause you know, exactly. you're more feminine. Well, that, <laughs> well that, and that's the thing. Like people assume people confuse and don't understand the difference between identity and sexuality. Those are, they're two separate things. You can be a man and like women, like men or like both. Um, you can be a woman and the same thing applies. Well, you can be trans and the same thing. And the interesting thing with being trans, though, is that majority of trans women, last, and the statistics are a little old, so I don't know if it's updated now and if it's changed a little bit as things kind of destigmatize more. Mm -hmm. But the majority of trans women, um, the statistics I had read a while back were that it broke down into thirds. So a third of the women that transitioned we're, you know, we're always attracted to men. So a lot of them may have identified as gay males before transition and then transition to women and, you know, date men and now see themselves as straight women. Whereas like the other two thirds had dated women, were always attracted to women and they transition. One third of those will still primarily be attracted to women and enter lesbian relationships. But mm -hmm. then there's another third that after transition between hormones, between the changes in their body, changes in their identity, how they see themselves, and for a variety of other reasons, will find that their sexuality shifts on them. And, and they will go from dating women to dating men. They will find, start finding men more attractive. They'll desire more about being with a man in a relationship. And then, of course, there's a handful that are, you know, are bisexual or pansexual or you know, date a variety of people. And I think as things destigmatize, there's less stigma around those types of things. I think we'll see more people open to dating um, people of both genders because there's such, you know, there's obviously like, I mean, if, like for an example, 
I mean, how many girls do we know that in college or when they were younger at some point didn't experiment with another girl? I mean, that's much more common among females mm-hmm. than it is among males because there's less stigma. Yeah. And then, or, you know, it is there with probably a lot more males than will admit it. Oh, it will. Absolutely. That's the other thing I've learned too from coming out. You would not believe the number of guys and people I knew, people I was close to that I had no idea. And these are like these super macho, tough guys that admitted to me later that they've had like, you know, all these interactions with other men and, and just stories that blew my mind. Like these, yeah. are, you know, like these are these alpha badass dudes that, mm-hmm. you know, I just never suspected. My, my were, kids were even yeah. kind of shocked. My wife and I were talking about and like, Hey, here we are, you know, vulnerability and bringing stuff out on a podcast going everywhere. It's like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm straight, I'm not gay, bisexual, anything. But when I was younger, you know, with one of my friends, yeah, I was on drugs, this and that, we were out partying. It was like, hmm, you know, he was gay, always liked me, but we're always just friends, never made a move. And it was like, hmm, let's try this out. And like, totally just, you know, kissed a friend of mine. It was like, hmm, okay, that's not really for me. Like, cool, whatever, you know, like, now let's just yeah. move, move on. And that was it. Yeah. But I think that happens to more. And again, it's, whatever that stigma is, cause they don't yeah. want to like admit it. I think it happens to more people or they question like, could I like a guy, but they'll never admit right. that. Yeah. They yeah. When it, thought that. Well, see when it becomes a problem is when it's something a person really wants and, um, and maybe they're not gay, maybe they're bisexual, or maybe they just enjoy like just the sex part of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's way more common. Like, like I said, my mind was blown when all these people started coming out to me and telling me these things. And for me, I mean, I had, you know, I had grown up, I had never once in my life saw a guy and then, and, you know, felt that kind of sexual attraction towards them. But then like, as I've transitioned and um, I started to wonder, like it started to become more of a curiosity. I started to wonder if that was something I might like. And then I had a couple interactions. Surprisingly, I, you know, the funny thing is, is when I started to transition, I never ever, like I said, I never thought I'd be interested in guys. I never, and I certainly never thought any men would be interested in me. Like, you know, this huge muscular person. So it was something that I, an option I never even really weighed or like even really thought much about. And then, but then after being out and, and, you know, meeting people and, you know, and, and transitioning more and spending all this time as, as a woman in public and just different interactions, I was surprised actually how much I did get hit on, how much I got flirted with. And there were a couple of times that made me feel really good. And that kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. And there were sometimes I really did, I, you know, and I didn't at the time too, I didn't know, well, do I just, is it just flattering? Does it just make me feel good? Cause they're very complimentary and that I know they're attracted to me. Or was there something a little more to it? And I ended up, you know, I, and basically at this point in my life, by the time I got to that point, you know, I'm already out about being trans. I've already gone through all this other stuff. I'm at the point in my life where if something's true, I don't care. Like if, if it's something that might make me happy or, you know, bring me pleasure, I'm open to it. And so like I, I've lost all that. I mean, the way I grew up, you know, back in the 80s with, um, you know, a very homophobic culture growing up in a small town in northern Michigan, very rural environment where, you know, you were macho or, or you were getting beat up. You know, there really mm-hmm. wasn't much other to it. And but at this point, like, hey, if, if why would I deny myself something that, you know, might bring me happiness because I'm worried about what other people think? I mean, at this point, I don't care about any of that. Um, if it's true and it's real and it, and it's, and it's good, then I'm, I'm open to it. So I, after I split, 
people who knew me at like the peak of my career, I was married a second time to a girl named Lauren and we had an amazing relationship and, and she knew everything going into it, but knowing it and living with it are two different things. And we basically split because, you know, she, she is, she's a straight girl and, and not attracted to women. And it was just too much like being in a lesbian relationship for her, even though at that time, you know, I hadn't transitioned and I wasn't presenting female that often, but still like I am who I am. And when we're alone together and being intimate and, and when I say being intimate, I'm not talking about what we did. Yeah. Like, it's not about like, I mean, you're not just talking like it's sexually intimate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm talking like, you know, being close and, and, and even the things we did sexually, there was nothing like if you saw a video of it, that looked like two straight people having sex, but it's just yeah. the way I am, the things I need and the way I relate to, to people are very, very feminine in nature. And despite of that, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many girls as an adult, like just simple things like kissing and they'd be like, oh my God, I feel like I'm kissing another woman, even though I'm standing there, this Jack super muscular person. <laughs> and, and, um, but I'm like, yeah, oh, well, you basically are. I don't know what to tell you. That's yeah. just, just who I am. And, but yeah, anyway, like, but yeah, to get back to that point, like I, so after Lauren and I split, I had a little bit of curiosity about men. Like I didn't know, like I'd had a couple of interactions that made me curious and I was like, well, screw it. Let's, let's find out. And so I went on a couple of dates with guys and it didn't work for me. It kind of like you said, like the, the, the first one I went on, you know, we ended up, we went out to dinner and we were supposed to go to a movie, but we ended up going to a park and walking around and I could tell he was kind of putting the moves on and, but I was, that's what I was there to kind of figure out. So I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. whatever. And so we start making out. And the funny thing was, first of all, I'd never kissed anybody with facial hair before. So that like <laughs> totally caught, caught me off guard and totally weirded me out. Like, and, and, uh, and then the funny thing was, is like the second it happens, it was just like, and it wasn't like, I wasn't disgusted or anything like that, but it was just like, okay, I'm not into this. It was just like making out with someone that you're not attracted to at all. And I just remember thinking like instantly like, oh gosh, how long do I have to do this before it's not too awkward to stop? Like I didn't want to like, you know, pull away and jump like, oh, back and like yeah. make it super awkward. Yeah. Make it super weird. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to ride this out. And hopefully like he's not into it either, but unfortunately he really was. And like, he was loving it. And I was like, Oh my God. So we ended up like making out for like 20 minutes and I'm the whole time I'm like not into this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I was just like, Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> and, um, but, and then afterwards I told him and I, and I had been up front ahead of time. I mean, he knew everything going into it. And I told him I'd never gone on a date with a guy before. And this was a new thing. And I didn't know if it worked for me or not. So, and then afterwards I just, you know, I thanked him for everything and just said, you know, but I'm, I'm sorry. It just, you know, it just didn't work for me. But, uh, you know, and then like I, I ended up a while later, I went out with one other guy. It was kind of a similar situation. And, 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 you know, at this point that hasn't worked for me, but like, let's say down the road, I was single again and there was someone and it did work and I was attracted and all those things happened. I'd be open to it. Do I expect that to happen? No, probably not. I've been always been much more attracted to women and but I, you know, but it's one of those things I wouldn't hundred percent rule out. It's like, Hey, if it happens, it happens. If it's, if it's a good thing, why, why be closed off to it? Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, but I was just shocked at how many like of these super macho tough guys have had like really, you know, it, you know, experiences like that and talking about like, you know, hooking up with coworkers or other, like on a sports team, hooking up with other guys on the team. And one, one of my close powerlifter buddies had told me that he had met a guy in high school and they would, and no one knew this, no one in his whole life, but they would get together periodically just for sex. 
and they both had they were both in relationships with women they had no interest in being together like permanently or like in a romantic way but sexually they enjoyed each other so it was like this thing that had been going on for over a decade and no one knew anything about and um so it was just really interesting and and, and i felt it was nice that because i was being so vulnerable and open with people that you could tell the burden these people were carrying and when they shared these things with me, like you could just see the weight off their shoulders. Like they had been dying to talk about it and tell someone for years and years. And it was just so nice for them to be able to finally like, you know, talk about things and, and just to kind of work things out for themselves. And, but yeah, it was just, it was fascinating and, and just very educational. And so like whenever, whenever people talk about the percentage of people that are gay in society or the percentage of people that are trans, I always say the same thing. I'm like, we have no idea. Yeah, that's not are people that are admitting yes, to that, that they are. <laughs> yeah, the people that are admitting and open about it. And, and, yeah. and it, it's just, there's all we know is there's way, way more than we think there is. Because You know, it, it, it's something that I keeps popping in my head too, because you're talking about subcultures and, you know, and all outside cultures that like look at it as such a negative thing or... You know, it makes me think of like when I first started going overseas and into like Iraq and all those places. And it's like you hear that to them and their culture is like women are for babies. And it yeah. was like, well, boys are for having fun. But it was like they're not gay, you know, like that whole right. kind of thing. Yeah. Or even when you think of, you know, like prison, stuff like that. Yes, there are people that are into men in there. But you hear it's like, no, I'm straight, but I'm got this, you know, whatever, whatever slang term they want to call it of somebody, you know, another male that they're yeah. having sex with, but they're not gay either. So it's like, so, yeah. I think that's yeah, where some it, people get so confused too of like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's very interesting. I think some of it is like, you know, justifying, um, you know, well, I don't have any other option. Like you said, if we're in prison together, there's, there is nobody else and this is the only way to do it. And it becomes a dominance thing. It's a way mm -hmm. to, you know, keep other people down, things like that. But, but yeah, underlying there, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of people that probably actually enjoy it. And for them having that intimacy and stuff is, is an important thing. But yeah, the culture is so much that it, it's funny. Yeah. Well, I do all this stuff, but I'm not gay. Well, who cares? So what if you are? And, and until we get to a point in society where that stigma is gone, where, you know, I talk about these things with people and sometimes like when I can tell, or someone's mentioned to me that, they might have some feelings of being attracted to, you know, the same sex or anything that makes them uncomfortable. I describe it as like, you got to think of it as like vanilla and chocolate ice cream. If you've always liked chocolate, but you think vanilla might be good, why not try it? And if you don't like it, well, then you don't have to eat any more of it. But what if you, what if you, but what if you love vanilla? Like what if vanilla for you is way better than chocolate? Or what if you like both? The mm -hmm. thing is until we look at it from a point of view where there's no stigma, there's always going to be like all this motivation to either hide. And, and the thing is, and the worst part about that is what does that cause? It causes guilt. It causes shame. It causes like all the negative stuff out there. And it's not like, exactly. we, you know, what, what we're yeah. saying is like, Oh, well, if you're a man or you're a woman, like just try it. Cause you know, don't knock it till you try it kind of a thing. But it's like, you either like, mm -hmm. if you're like, Hey, I totally know, like, that's not for me. Like, Hey, great that's fine. But it's like those people, I think of what you're saying is like, if they're like, hmm, maybe, maybe not. It's like, you know, if you're interested to find out, try and find out if you don't like it. Okay, great. Like there's, and just move on. Like it, it's, does it have to be like this crazy, 
huge thing that everybody makes it out to be like my story is like, mm, okay, not, not for me on to the next thing. Yeah, and then we were exactly. just friends. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. And it was no big deal. You found out you didn't like it. So who cares? Like, like I said, like vanilla chocolate, like, well, maybe yeah. you like vanilla, maybe you don't. And, but um, yeah, and it's it just, and I think people, I think if there was no stigma, there'd be a lot more people that wouldn't be locked into just one thing. And, and like I said, and one's not better than the other one's not worse. There's obviously there's nothing wrong with being totally straight. But there's also nothing wrong with being gay, with being bi, with being pansexual or any of these mm -hmm. things. And if you have kinks or whatever, that's all cool too. As long as you're not harming anyone else in the process, yeah. you know, more, more power to you. But yeah, it's just interesting. And even like, and, and just going back to my relationship with my girlfriend, you know, so she's a lesbian, has always dated women ever, you know, when she was still kind of closeted and she, she had a few boyfriends in high school, but then, you know, since then it's been all girls. And actually that was a challenge for us early in our relationship was the fact that even though I've had an orchiectomy, so for people who aren't familiar with that, um, orchiectomy means I had my testicles removed. Um, I lost one to cancer, and then I, I and I actually paid to have the other one taken out. And uh, and I'm sure there's people out there cringing right now, being like, "Oh my God, <laughs> why would you want to do that?" But um, but I haven't had full bottom surgery yet, which is something I I'm, I'm actually trying to get scheduled. The problem is there's a number of problems with it. There's a whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to have letters from two psychologists. You have to meet all these different criteria. It, there's a lot of gatekeeping. You can't just go and get surgery, even as a cons uh, adult, like, you know, perfectly sane, logical adult. Like, you can be the most responsible yeah. person in the world. Because it's not like, a, oh, let me just, oh, you didn't yeah. like that. Let's just change it back over. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. And then the thing is, too, is that, like, there's, you know, you see all these laws right now trying to get passed about, like, preventing kids from suit trans kids from seeking surgery or doing any of this stuff. And there's this, they're putting this idea out there, like everybody's just going and getting surgery everywhere. Number one, that's not happening. It's not easy to get surgery. You have to meet a whole bunch of criteria. You've got to get approved by two different therapists. You know, there's like all these hoops and the surgeons will not do surgery unless you have all this stuff in order. There's a ton of stuff you have to go through. Mm -hmm. And so it's nonsense to think like, and the thing is there's very few you can't, as, as a minor, you can't just go and get the surgery either. You've got to have approval from a parent or consenting adult. And there might be ways, some ways around that. I'm not sure. I mean, laws vary in different places, but I know what the criteria is that, that the surgeons follow. And so this idea that they need to pass these laws to prevent people like kids from getting surgery and screwing, screwing up and then realizing later it's not something they wanted, it, it's nonsense. It doesn't happen that way. Like mm -hmm. you've got to fight very, very hard to get what you want. It's not an easy thing to happen, even as a, a full grown adult who's completely independent. Yeah. And, um, and then the other problem is too, there's, there's not a ton of surgeons out there that are skilled at this. And um, I mean, there's more and more coming because they, they realize the demand for it. Yeah. And it's only going to grow from there, but it's, it's yeah. not like you go and see, let's like a dermatologist or that like, yeah, not a, no, no, there's not. Thing. <laughs> yeah, there's not. And the thing is, there's only a handful in the world that have, have a ton of experience and have been doing this for a long time and are really proficient at it. And, and the thing is, those surgeons that are really popular have like crazy long wait lists. The one surgeon mm -hmm. that I want to go see in the U.S. has a four year wait list. Yeah, like, like, I, I mean, guess a way, a way to yeah. almost think of it is like, you know, and maybe this is like, well, that's stupid. How would you think of that? But it makes me think of... Uh, because I was talking about getting a new tattoo yesterday. It's like, oh, you want to go get a tattoo from a very popular person. 
well, it's not like you can schedule one for next week. Like there's people that have years and years of long mm-hmm. wait lists to get there. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Like if there's only so many people and yeah. Yeah. the supply yeah. is growing, it's like you said, the, which there's yeah. all these hoops. Plus it's like, you have to sit there and wait. It's not like you schedule next week you're going. No. Uh, and I mean, and there's, you know, there are some surgeons that don't have a wait list, but those surgeons are brand new. Yeah. Or they, not you know, really. They, they maybe don't. somebody you want to go to. Yeah, you, exactly. This isn't like, it isn't like buying a used car that you can sell next week. If uh, <laughs> you know, it turns out it's got something wrong with it, you're getting, you're getting your vagina one time and, and uh, you know, if it's, if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't live up to your standards, you're, you know, and they do do revision surgeries and stuff like that, but that's mm-hmm. mainly for aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if they, if it doesn't like, if they do something wrong and they damage the nerves and you lose sensation, um, or something like that, like it's almost I mean, like any, it, any kind of bad plastic surgery when you watch like, exactly. my wife, my wife you, loves you, to watch like botched yeah. and stuff. And it's like, yeah. Oh my God, you know, like you can't change that. No. And you, and you don't, you know, like I said, and this is just something you don't bargain shop. Right. And, mm-hmm. and from time to time I would run across girls doing that being like, well, I'm going to this surgeon because they're $10,000 cheaper. And I'm, and I'm just like, and I'm like, Oh my God, no, like, okay. Like, yeah, I know it's a lot of money, but guess what? In a year or two, you're not going to remember that money, but you're going to remember the result of that surgery for the rest of your life. And it's going to affect yeah, you. Something permanently and, damaged this and that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, so that's, it's, so that's part of the reason I haven't had full bottom surgery yet is waiting for the surgeons that I want to see. And then and for a while back too, I, to be honest, I've had eight surgeries total in my life and three of them are lifting related, you know, repairing injuries and one due to cancer. The other mm-hmm. four have all been, um, you know, transgender related stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had two, actually, is it more than that? I've had two facial surgeries, um, vocal cord surgery, the orchiectomy. There's four right there. I mean, I guess that's not counting. I've had lots of other things like laser hair removal and mm-hmm. one hair transplant. And, but like um, major, major type. But major surgeries, surgery. yeah. So four so far. And then, um, you know, and I've looked at, I've had several consults for breast augmentation, but I'm really not a good candidate for that because, number one, I, ha- I don't have a lot of breast development from the hormones. And, mm-hmm. and part of that is genetics, age, and then also the fact that I try to stay very lean. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the other thing is I have still have very large pec muscles. Well, that makes implants very difficult. Yeah. And, um, and then the other, you know, to get them to look natural or, you know, to, to feel right. And that's important to me. And then the other thing is, is that also I'm increasingly meeting and seeing more and more women. And a lot of these women are friends of mine that have had implants that are now getting them removed because of having problems and issues and mm-hmm. um, like basically autoimmune system type reactions and, you know, just feeling sick all the time and, you know, and um, things like that. So breast augmentation is something I'm probably not going to get. But bottom surgery is 100% something I want. It's just a matter of waiting for the right surgeon and well, yeah, the time. Really. Yeah, yeah. And I and I took a break like after my last facial surgery. Well, I had the vocal cord surgery and the facial surgery like basically back to back within a couple months of each other. And the, after the vocal cord surgery, I mean the recovery was easy as far as like pain and everything. There was really none. But I couldn't speak for two months to allow my voice, like the vocal cords, to heal. That yeah, I think that I remember that was in that was in the uh, the documentary, right? Yep. Yeah. They showed, but that was the very end of the documentary. That was in 2017. And that was the last, like the, basically the end of the documentary was me going and get those two procedures done. And that's when everything ended right as I was healing from the face, uh, my last facial surgery. And, um, 
and they were great. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very happy, especially the facial surgery results and the, and the vocal cord surgery. I don't know if you remember what I sounded like before. I mean, I still wish my voice was higher and more feminine sounding, but it's a significant. Yeah, it's definitely, it definitely. Was. Yeah, definitely different. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I fall probably more in that in-between range right now, kind of like in that overlay. There's an area where male and female voices overlap and, I, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, it's an improvement. Um, some days it's still, and I, and I could probably, I, I could definitely make it better if I worked on it more. Like they do, to, when they have surgery, they have a lot of exercises and lessons and stuff you're supposed to do that go along with it that are, will help more with the results. And, mm-hmm. but honestly, I just kind of got like tra- training it. And stuff yeah, like that. exactly. And those things do help. And, and some of the girls are very vigilant about that stuff and work on it really, really hard. And it does really help with the results. For me, I just got, I kind of got burned out on all that. Like I wanted, I didn't want to, because sometimes it can feel like what's hard for me, like having to wear a wig and you still having a very muscular body. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I like the way my body is and this is how I like it. And I don't want to, I have no interest in trying to look like a Victoria's Secrets model. Mm-hmm. Um, I always want to be athletic. I want to be as strong as I can. Um, but the problem is like when I take off the wig and I take off the makeup at the end of the day and I undress it's still very, very hard for me to look in the mirror and see the girl that I know I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, at that point I look, you know, still look quite similar to how I looked in the past and that can be very dysphoric for me. You know, that, that can be hard, but it is what it is. And yeah, do I wish I could snap my fingers and look exactly the way I'd like to look? Of course. But so would most other people, <laughs> you know, just mine has involves <laughs> a change of gender. But, it, you know, it is what it is, and I'm working towards it. And, you know, I, I, like at this point, I think after bottom surgery, I think I'm, I'm done with surgeries, and, and that's all I'll need to feel as comfortable as I can feel in my body. I mean, I'm still hoping. I, there's, um, I talked to, like I had gotten a couple more consults for hair transplants, and I'm really not a candidate at this point. I had one a number of years ago, and it helped a little bit, but not as much as I was hoping. Mm-hmm. And my hair continued to thin, and now I, I just I don't have – I have too much thinning and not enough donor hair to really make a significant difference. But they did tell me there's some research going on right now with stem cells where they're able to um, basically grow your own hair and like basically in a Petri dish and then later transplant it into you. But That's it's crazy. still, yeah, it's still new and it's not reliable. There's yeah. been some like anything cases. new. It's not like, yeah. Oh, okay, this is for sure. gonna work like mm, there's, yeah. there's possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, the, the, the last um, person I talked to, he said probably in another five to 10 years, the technology will be um, good enough to like, well, where it'll start rolling out like on a mass scale and they'll have it figured out. Well, at least that's what he was envisioning. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he thought they were getting there, but there's still more that needs to be done and it's not, you know, it hasn't been mastered enough yet. So I'm, so I'm kind of hopeful that maybe another five years or so I will be able to, that'd be pretty wild, like grow your own hair and then go in and get a transplant and then boom, now I've got long hair. That'd be great. Yeah, that, that would um, be crazy. So there, yeah. there was a couple questions I wanted to ask you and kind of shift mm-hmm. some directions that have to do with sure. that. All right. So, so one of the questions I wanted to dive into also with this and get your, your viewpoint is, you know, when it comes to, you know, sports and transgenders, mm-hmm. how, like that's something I think cause it's so new and it's such a gray area and like people really, mm-hmm. I think aren't sure how to go of about course. that of like, how do you do transgenders in sports of like, here's somebody like, let's say take you that was in a the male side because they do have the women's mm-hmm. side of powerlifting you were in the male side mm-hmm. like the top 
world record holder. And then now you say, let's take someone who's like, well, I d- identify as a female or transgender, and I'm going to compete with women. There's obviously a lot of like conflicts and this and that. Like, how do you view that? And it's like, what? I just see it being talked about more and more because it's coming right, right. common. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. I actually just wrote a big, long article about all of this. And I've been researching this for years. And um, I first spoke, I've been in contact with one of the people that's a researcher that has been consulted by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, to help them form their rules. And I have been talking to her for years. I think the first time we talked was three or four years ago. And so I've been researching this because obviously, I mean, it, it, I'm very fascinated by it. And, I, and I'm, I'm the type of person too, like, I try to be very, I mean, we all have our own personal bias, right? We all have ways we want things to be, whether we realize that or not. But I, I recognize that. But I'm also very much about what's fair and, um, and what's true, what's real. And so, like, really, what is the reality of trans athletes? And, you know, I, I can see both sides of the story. I, I can see, you know, as a transgender person myself, and I mean, if I was going through this now as a teenager and I was told I would never be able to compete as a woman, that'd be devastating. Um, you know, that would be like, for me, as much as being a trans woman is a part of my identity, so is being an athlete. I mean, that's my mm-hmm. entire life. And it's a huge part of who I am and who I've always been. And the idea that I would never be able to compete again would be devastating. So I can understand that motivation and that want and that need to be able to participate. But then I also understand the point of view from people like, you know, like you said, I'm a perfect example, like someone who's, you know, grown up as, you know, an adult, they're, let's say they're in their thirties or whatever, and have spent all this time, um, you know, competing as a male. And then the idea that how can that be fair if that person crosses over into the female division and competes, they, you know, the, the assumption is that, well, they must have a huge advantage and it's never going to be the same because regardless of what anyone says, it, it's, it's clear that males do have an advantage over females and that's primarily due to testosterone. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like male world records and female world records, even though in some sports, the gaps are closing and there's a lot of reasons for that. Like we're finally, we're just getting to a point now where women are at, for the most part are just as encouraged or just as free to compete in sports as males are for a long time. It was highly discouraged and it, and it still is to some degree. Let's be honest. I mean, there are still some people, you know, there's still some fathers that don't want their daughters playing rough sports or lifting weights. And there's still a lot of pushback for women who want to be big and muscular. You know, what's the first thing, you know, a woman posts a picture online of her being jacked. You look any of the comments, anybody's page, what's, you know, it's all going to be, Oh, honey, you sh- why are you doing that? No one's going to want to date you. You look like a man. Yeah. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, it's, it's on and on and on. There's still, mm-hmm. so there's still a lot of pressure. But, but part of the reason that women are improving, like if you look at powerlifting, perfect example, the women's side of the sport has exploded in the last five to 10 years. Yeah. And it's because we're getting a lot of women now that are, that feel more free to compete in those areas and more women are supporting each other. And it's awesome. And the women's records are climbing like crazy. Are they going to catch the men's records? No, probably not. But the gap is closing and we're seeing that in some other sports as well, just mm-hmm. from increased levels of participation, less stigma. I mean, like in, when I was in high school or actually I was after high school, I was coaching my old wrestling team, one of the assistant coaches and my younger, my youngest brother was competing and there was a girl from a rival high school. She was a phenomenal wrestler she went to regionals and just missed qualifying for states as a sophomore. She would have been a, probably a, a two-time, you know, uh, state qualifying wrestler. And maybe by her senior year, Maida had a shot at a state championship. She was phenomenal. She was the coach's kid and had been wrestling for a long time. She was really, really good and really tough. 
But the thing was, there was so much pressure on her and so much negative people booing her and um, or just, you know, pressure from classmates and other people. And she quit after her sophomore year. So here was a great athlete that left a sport she loved because of all this outside pressure. Mm. And so we're finally seeing less of that. Not saying it's totally eliminated. We're seeing less of it. So we're seeing greater, greater numbers of women compete. We're seeing women support each other in that. Because And there's still like, there's girls that are afraid to be ultra competitive because it's not seen as being feminine and there's pressure on them. Like, you know, to not try as hard and, and to do those I think uh, CrossFit's definitely probably helped sports, you know, a especially ton, more in those. Yeah. Like huge, well, I think, huge there. Yeah. Well, I was just down at Wadapalooza in Miami with Olivia and I was super impressed by all the Jack females down there. And some of the top CrossFit girls are, are quite muscular and quite they strong are. They are. and really impressive. But I think that you can say what you want about CrossFit and, and there's things I love about the sport and there's a, a couple of things that I kind of scratch my head at, but, but whatever, <laughs> beyond all that, like the thing you can't deny that has been amazing that CrossFit has done has, is really encouraged a very positive, like positive role models and positive examples of muscular women. And it's made it very much more mainstream and it has probably encouraged countless numbers of young girls to want to get into lifting and training and working out, which I think is awesome. So, you know, say what you want about CrossFit, that it, what it has done yeah. for, the, for oh, women yeah. is amazing. And one of the coolest things about CrossFit that I didn't know until recently is, and, and this is the only sport I know of, and there might be other ones out there, but that I'm aware of, I mean, usually there's a huge disparity between like what the top male athletes get paid and the top female athletes mm-hmm. in CrossFit, they get paid exactly the same. I thought that was really cool. Like that, I, I didn't yeah. know that. Cause it's definitely not when you look at other sports and things like that, it's, oh, gosh. you know, yeah. like I mean, WNBA players exactly. sure aren't getting paid like NBA players or yeah. Some, yeah. anything I would, like that. Yeah. I would, I would wager to guess that somebody like Michael Jordan's probably made more money than all the women that WNBA put together. But yeah, um, it's crazy. But yeah, yeah, huge disparity in a lot of sports. But with CrossFit, they get paid the same. And the thing, and the crazy, and the awesome thing, and is that uh, the women are just as popular as the men. If you go down and look at these things, there's a ton of women in the crowds, and the female athletes are mm-hmm. super popular. And um, but yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And and, and, I, um, and I think that does play. You know, if we look at like the business aspect, like obviously WNBA is mm-hmm. not like NBA, you know, so there's, yeah. there's more money and things like that to, to play them where if you look, I think, you know, CrossFit, we've been talking about it's a perfect example where it's very, just as many people tune into the games, watching the men or the women compete, like they're all competing. Yes. Yep. They compete separate or men and women compete on teams together. You know, it's not like a men's team, yeah. or a women's team. They have teams where they're both and then the male competition, the yeah. women and everybody's still watching and like you said, so I think it's a very like, you know, yeah. like it or not in those aspects, it's been great for sports. But then let's say like, let's take, you know, like Matt Frazier, you know, mm-hmm. multiple world champion. And yeah, then four, t- four times now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he's like, you know what? I identify as a woman. I'm trans. I do this. And then he wants to go compete with women. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think anybody yeah, really yeah, so- has the answer yet for a lot of this. No. But it's like, how do you navigate and like, what, yeah. like, what's your viewpoint on that compared to. Yeah. Yeah. Like so let's, let's get, yeah, let's get back to all that. And I'll tell you, I've been, like I said, I've been researching this for years and trying to do so with a very open mind of what I found and what the reality of the situation is. 
So here's the thing. And this, I wrote all this in the article. I, I, I completed the article. I sent it out to a bunch of people to get their feedback and I'm making some tweaks to it and I'll be posting it to my website soon, which I'll post about it on social, social media when I get that done. Okay. Just unfortunately I got 50 million things going and right now I'm <laughs> trying to get them all complete launching a YouTube channel and all the other stuff we're trying to do. And, and, uh, but anyway, um, the articles I'm rewriting it, it'll be posted before long. And, and I explain all of this in detail and exactly how I came to all these conclusions and what the research honestly says. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I've talked to people that consult with the international Olympic community. I've been researching what all the studies say that we have, and then looking at all the examples of trans women that have transitioned and the success they've had. Now, the problem, and this is like anything nowadays, you know, people on both sides of it, you know, tend to exaggerate their point of view. But one of the problems with trans women, if you get online and you Google trans women athletes, the first thing that's going to come up, there's going to be a long list. and It's going to show you all these trans women supposedly smashing world records. And all the articles are going to talk about like the titles, the first titles that will come up, you know, trans women athletes destroy quote unquote real women. Um, you know, trans woman breaks another world record and, and all this kind of thing. So it sounds like, Oh my, yeah, if I didn't know any better and I just read some of these articles, it would seem like the most unfair thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea people can't get past the idea that there's a big difference between a male pre-transition and post-transition a transgender woman. The thing, this is, this is like in trying to explain this to people, it's a difficult cause you know, they think, okay, you've got all this muscle you've got this bone structure and you, and you've got these hormones that have shaped your body for 30 years or whatever it is. You can't, you know, they're saying, well, you can't tell me that in one year, cause the current rules with the international Olympic committee and the NCAA follows the same policy is that you have to be on female hormones for a period of one year and the, and your testosterone either has to be suppressed through medication or if you've had bottom surgery or an orchiectomy and you no longer have testes, these people don't realize too, is that trans women actually, if they've had surgery, they actually have lower testosterone levels than cis women. And just to explain that really quick, so in cis women, they get a small amount of testosterone, it's from their adrenal glands, like in everybody, these small glands on top of your kidneys. And that's a very small amount. And then the other, the rest of it comes from their ovaries. Their ovaries produce a small amount of testosterone. So in cis women, about half of it comes from their adrenal glands. Half of it comes from their, uh, their ovaries. And that's and then, just when, like women that are born. Born female. Okay. Yeah. So XX genetic, excess genes. Yeah. Cis women just refers to anyone who's, you know, basically born with XX chromosomes, identifies okay. as female and, you know, your typical, what most people think of as a typical woman. Okay. And, um, and then, um, so with a trans woman, after they transition, if they have bottom surgery or have an orchiectomy, the only testosterone in their body is from the adrenal glands. Well, that is less. So they're going to have significantly lower testosterone levels than a cis woman, generally usually around a half to two thirds of what a typical cis woman is going to have. And that's less than, I don't want to get too much into the like scientific side of it, because if I try to explain mm-hmm. that stuff, it's going to sound more confusing, but there's certain levels that are mandated by the IOC and, and those are kind of being reviewed right now. And they're trying to decide to lower them even further or what the requirements are. But cis women, just for a reference for most people, cis women typically have between one and two nanomoles per, um, oh shoot, milliliter, liters. I'm drawing a blanket on the exact units, but generally between one and two on the scale that's used. And then in trans women, you know, post-surgery or post-orchiectomy are going to have less than one. So about a half to two thirds of what a typical female has. 
And then the other thing we need to, and so people like think, but really can taking away testosterone, supplementing with estrogen. Yeah. We know it's going to make your strength go down. We know it's going to add body fat. We know it's going to decrease muscle mass, but it doesn't really make that significant of a difference to where it actually makes it fair for these trans women to compete. Well, the answer, I've been researching this for years, looked at all the women that are out there competing that are open, and the answer appears to be yes, it does. So in, in most sports, and it varies a little bit from sport to sport, but in most sports, there's about an 11 to 12% difference between the average male and the average female. That's the percentage difference in performance. Mm-hmm. And, and what we find is that in most cases, a trans woman will suffer about an 11 to 12% decrease in her performance after one year of being on hormones and of either having their testosterone removed or having it suppressed. So we need this year period. And and then people think, Oh God, a year, that can't be enough. But think of it this way. Would anyone deny or doubt that being on anabolic steroids for a year is going to make a significant difference? No people, anyone who's been in that world in the sports world and knows like what those hormones can do. The thing is they kick in within a couple of weeks, within a couple of weeks, you start seeing changes mm-hmm. within a, within a couple of months, the results are significant. And if you were to be on a ster- like a big steroid cycle for an entire year, there's going to be a huge difference a year later from where you started at. Yeah. And I, I, think, I, I couldn't imagine. Cause I, I just yeah. started the hormone replacement therapy, which we talked on other episodes about five weeks ago. And it's only, you know, it's like 200 yes. mill- milligrams. Uh, yeah, so it's very small and it's like wow okay like i'm i get more energy like i'm starting to see mm-hmm. difference where i couldn't imagine a year let alone like the small yeah. amount i'm taking compared to some right. of the massive amounts that other people take it's like yeah like like you said of course right. it's going to be a big fucking difference <laughs> yeah so basically um hormone therapy or hrt for trans women is basically that in reverse you're you're taking away the stuff that gives you those performance benefits and you're replacing it with a hormone that does the exact, exact opposite estrogen i mean we all have some people don't realize that every single person produces both testosterone and estrogen mm-hmm. just males produce typically a lot more testosterone and a very small amount of estrogen and vice versa with females so the thing is is like yeah estrogen is the hormones that's designed to prepare a woman's body for childbirth and so you store more fat because you because they need those energy stores and you know you have less muscle mass and you know all these things well when you put a trans woman on estrogen for and you give it a year that's about how long it takes for that 11 to 12 percent decrease in their performance to fully manifest and we've seen it across the board and so that's what, and, I'm like, and I'll be the first to admit, we do need more research. We need greater numbers. We need it across greater sports. A lot of mm-hmm. the research comes from like middle distance runners and some endurance athletes and things like that. We do need more research with strength athletes. But interestingly enough, like with the Olympics, when they looked at some of the events and they looked at all of the events from the winners and to see where the hormone level um hormone levels affected the, you know, which events the most, it was um, events like the 400 meter, the 800 meter pole vaulting was one of them. And I think high jump was one of the other ones. And those were the ones where they saw that the people, whether it was males or females, or I'm trying to think it was a study exclusively looking at females. I, I don't remember, but I know they looked at females for sure. And I think they looked at male athletes too. They were trying to see if they could correlate which events the higher testosterone provided a clear advantage in. So those events for the women were the 400 meter, 800 meter high jump, uh, oh, pole vault. And then surprisingly, it wasn't, I would have assumed it would be the shorter sprints, the really speed-based ones, like the 100 meter and the 200 meter. And I would think all the strength events, like like the shot put, discus, um, you know, things like that, where strength's mm-hmm. a greater advantage. 
And surprisingly, those didn't, it, it was a mixture of, it wasn't just the people with the highest testosterone levels that did the best. So, but, we, but anyway, the, the whole point of that is, is that we do need more research. We need greater numbers, especially when it comes to strength sports. But as far as we can tell, it does appear to be fair. And what I want to get to here in a minute too, is like all those articles I mentioned about all these women breaking records and all this stuff. And so as of right now, the Olympics have had a, had a, that policy in place since 2000, since before the 2004 games in Athens. And uh, so we're talking almost, you know, over 15 years, the NCAA has had that policy in place since 2011. Now in that time, and despite what some people think or would, would guess, there has not been a single trans woman that has broken Olympic record, won a gold medal, won any medals at all, or even qualified for an Olympic team. And there's a bunch that have tried. So despite like all this time and women being able to, and a bunch of trans women trying, there has not even been a single trans woman that's been able to make an Olympic team let alone break any kind of record or win any kind of medal. And the same thing in the NCAA. This year, we just saw for the first time a sprinter in um, well, 400, meter, uh, 400 meter hurdles it was in, a young woman, a trans woman, <coughs> excuse me, um, won the 400 meter in, uh, hurdles in division two at the college national championships. And she actually had like a phenomenal race faster than she'd ever won. She wasn't she wasn't favored to win that race and she wasn't expected to, but ran her best time ever and ended up pulling off a national championship. That is the first time we've ever seen a trans woman win any um, college national championship. So the stuff that's kind of being reported, like you'd have to look to a more like, it's it's probably when there's not like here's regulations set up. Yeah. I'll go into that in one second. I'm going to tell you the most popular Mm. cases that people probably heard of and then tell you and show you how it's been manipulated and how everything being said is complete baloney. So this, this girl's name is Cece Telfer. So Cece won the 400 meter hurdles, um, became first trans woman to ever win a national championship. Well, that's in division two. Anyone that's familiar with college sports knows that division one is a big jump from division two. Had she run in division one, she would have taken sixth or seventh place. Cause it, when she won, there was an outrage. Like so many people were upset. You know, this man is stealing all these women, you know, women's championships or whatever. She didn't break any records. She didn't run like a, a, a crazy fast time. She actually also ran in, I think it was the 200 meter and she took fifth in that same meet. So it's not like she was out there dominating and it wasn't like she, you know, she didn't smash any records. It was her mm-hmm. first, she had won a lot of smaller meets throughout she the season. She didn't just go out and like sweep the competition. No, not at all. Like, and, and she competed in different other events too, but the only two events she qualified for at the NCAA championships was, I want to say it was the 200, I'm trying to remember if it was the 200 meter hurdles, but anyway, there was a shorter event that she took fifth place in and then she won the 400 meter hurdles and her name's CC Telfer and that was her senior year and, and she's, she's done now. But had she competed at division, in division one, she would have taken like sixth or seventh place. She wouldn't even have been close to the podium. Mm-hmm. But uh, so she wasn't smashing anything or, or doing something that was unheard of for women. And then so, OK, so let's like just like you brought up, let's talk about some of the when you Google on the Internet or talk about some of the trans women out there that we see plastered all over the place. I want to bring up a couple names that people will probably be familiar with or at least heard about their stories and then show that why this has totally been exaggerated. Not the case. Well, the first one I'm talking about is Laurel Hubbard. Laurel Hubbard's an Olympic weightlifter from New Zealand. 
Um, she's called, caused a lot of controversy in the last several years because she won the Australian Games, she won the Pacific Games, and she won the Masters Women's World Championships. Now, if you look it up and you look at stuff on the internet, you'd think she's smashing everybody. You would think that from these wins that she's dominating the sport and she's breaking all the records, winning all the world championships. You will literally see on there talking about her being a world champion. Mm-hmm. She's a master's world champion. So she won and, and so she won like basically, you know, the, the master's division, the older person's division in the open world. So like, and then she, you know, she won the Australian championships and she won the Pacific games, which sound like a big deal. Well, the thing is in the weightlifting world, those aren't highly competitive competitions on the international scale. They don't have any of the best women from the best countries, like places like China and Russia. They so just, her, it's not worth their time kind of a thing. So that well, well, it's not in their division. So like Pacific okay. games are for like Australia, New Zealand. I forget what other countries are in there, but they're it's just like it excluding have some of the biggest competitors. Yeah, it, exactly. It would be like the Pan American Games. That's for North America and North and Central America and South America. You know, so you're just not included because that's not your region. Well, yeah. the region she's in just happens to be not that competitive on the world level as compared to the best people in the world. Mm-hmm. So she recently competed at the World Championships. And this is the first time she was up against basically all the best women in the world. She went in, posted her best total ever, hit a big PR, best total she's ever placed. She got sixth place. She actually tied for sixth and won and moved into sixth on body weight. But she she was over a hundred pounds out of first place, and I think she was fifty-seven pounds out of the medals, which in weightlifting, for anybody who's familiar with weightlifting, that's a huge margin. Like she was nowhere close. And you're mm-hmm. not gonna put you know, between now and the Olympics, she's not going to put 60 or 70 pounds on her total weight. I mean, I, I can't say absolutely you can't, but highly unlikely, you know, strength in, in a sport like that takes time to build. And so basically she has, I won't say zero chance of meddling at the Olympics or, you know, possibly even winning gold, but it's very, very unlikely. It's not like everybody's put it out to be. Exactly. Like if you read the internet, you think she's dominating everything and smashing everything. <laughs> like it's she's un- not. unfair. She's just going to sweep everybody. Yeah, in I that. think it was, I saw an interview with the coach from the U S team and right before the world championships, they were asking him about her and how he thought she'd do. And he basically said, she'd be lucky if she places in the top 12. Well, she came out, had her best meet ever and actually made sixth. And that was a, like a, a excellent, excellent result for her. So, yeah, so going into the world and now granted that's going into the world saying that none of these people, that all these same women are present that, and there's, and the sad part is uh, one or two of them won't be because I think two of the lifters that place that were both from China and I think they only can bring one. And um, there was, might've been Russia. I don't think Russia had multiple people, but there's one or two of the girls that placed above her might not be able to be there because you're only allowed to bring so many people from certain areas. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, uh, and then let's say that none of them have drug failures in the meantime or anything like yeah. that. Cause several of these women have been suspended before bottom line, if all the best girls show up, she really has no realistic chance of even meddling, let alone winning gold or breaking any records. And she's nowhere, nowhere near the record. She's a hundred plus pounds away from any of the records. So it's pretty much um, like what, what people are thinking. It's not like you just all of a sudden one day check a different box on a form and be like, exactly. Hey, I'm going to compete and beat everybody. Like there's rules and regulations yeah, well, and that's at like, that uh, level. It's, it's exactly still a difference. And that's the way it needs to be. And that's the way it should be. And it, it, and it will take time. And then people will say to you, will criticize and say, well, she was nowhere near that good as a male lifter. Here's the thing. She was, she was like a junior world champion or just at junior records. 
Um, I forget what she'd done. Like she hadn't competed for like over a decade with her transition and stuff, but she was an accomplished weightlifter pre-transition. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she never won any world championships and she wasn't like big on the world scene, but it, she wasn't like some nobody. She wasn't somebody like who, who didn't compete and then all of a sudden just got into women's weightlifting. She was a long time competitive weightlifter that had competed at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, she just had been out of it for a long time and, and you know, and then, then made this comeback post-transition. But um, so that's Laurel Hubbard. So then, um, so one of the other ones, and people are probably familiar with that, especially anybody in the MMA world. And I really want to talk about this because it's been talked a lot on like Joe Rogan's mentioned it a bunch of times. and It gets brought up frequently because of the nature of the sport. Mm-hmm. MMA, so Fallon Fox. Fallon Fox is a trans girl. Last I knew she was living in Chicago. If you look up something on Fallon, you'll get a ton of articles that talk about her dominating, you know, all these women in MMA, how she was the strongest and just smashed all these girls. She had a professional record of five and one that she fractured a woman's skull. It, it just sounds brutal. So yeah, anybody who reads those articles is going to think, Oh my God, this is ridiculous. This is not fair. Like she just went out there and smashed everybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's the reality of it. She was five and one of the five victories she had as a pro, not a single one of those girls had a winning record. Two of them had never ever won a fight in pro MMA and the one, her one loss was to a girl who has a, is the only one that's been fought inside the UFC, but she has a losing record inside the UFC and is six and four overall in her career. So no world beater. I mean, she's an accomplished women's MMA fighter and she competes at a high level. She's made it into the UFC. But like I said, she has a losing record inside the UFC. She's not one of the very best. And she smashed Fallon. In the, in the fight, she TKO'd Fallon in the third round. In the second round, she almost TKO'd her at the end of the second round, but um, the bell saved her. And, um, but that's her only loss. So the only mm-hmm. decent high-level fighter she fought, she lost to. She got TKO'd. And, um, but if you read the articles, you'd think that she was just this world beater. And then the other thing is the, the skull fracture that they like to throw it, you know, sensationalize all these articles with that she, you know, crashed, you know, cracked open some woman's skull – it was an orbital fracture, which is the bone that goes around the eye. Anyone who's familiar with MMA, it's an extremely common injury. Yeah. If you, if you Google orbital fractures in MMA, you will get top 15 lists of, you know, best orbital fractures or worst orbital fractures in, um, <laughs> in MMA. But it, it's an extremely common injury. Most of, the, most of the top level fighters have had an orbital fracture. And she is not so the like only... like she Hulk smashed someone's head. Well, yeah, they make it sound... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they make it sound like... You read the article, it sounds like her, she split someone's skull wide open. No, other women have fractured other women's orbital bones. It's happened. Like, it's a common injury. But that's what I'm talking about. These articles get spun. It just makes, yeah, makes for good news. Yeah, they don't tell you. Yeah, yeah. They'll make Fallon Fox sound like she was the most devastating killer ever. They'll show you interviews where one of the other girls she beat says, I've never faced anyone that felt so strong and that there was nothing I could do against her. Yeah, the same girls never want to fight. Like, mm-hmm. so come on. Like, it's, you know, it reminds yeah. me of like when you take, because we were talking about the pro level, uh, you know, pro and, and college level, like you get some of these, the best college players out there, whether they're like even sometimes even like Heisman type trophies, and then they go to yeah. the Step pro. Into the NFL. Yeah. And it's like you never hear from them like a year or two after almost because they just right. dominate because you're going from one level to another so of course like oh they're great you can put it here in this light but when you go to the top of the top like there's definitely a a difference there 
Yeah. And like I said, and the reality of it is, and there's a couple other, you know, female athletes we could talk about. Actually, there's a number of them and I can talk about all of them because like I said, I've been researching this stuff forever, Mm -hmm. but in every case, in every single case, when you pull up a, one of these trans female athletes, that is the internet saying, you know, this is why it's not fair. Their story's been exaggerated or they're missing key elements of it that that make it sound way, way worse than what it is. So the reality of it is, and like I said, I'm trying to really come at this with an unbiased approach and an open mind. And I would be the first one. I'm, if let's say, and I'm, and I'm saying we do need more research and we're going to, and I, mm-hmm. and I think that's all coming because the thing is there's not a ton of trans women out there competing openly right now, but it's getting more and more as this thing mm-hmm. was going away and people are feeling more comfortable to be out we're going to, we're going to start seeing a lot more. So then we'll be able You'd to be able to more have data. more data. Yeah. More data. Yeah. And so and let's say, and let's say all of a sudden we do start seeing a rise in the number of trans women being really successful. Well then, then that's something we need to look at and reevaluate. Maybe we yeah. need to lower the required testosterone levels. Maybe we need to relook at the rules, but as of right now, for all the data we have and all the examples we have in the real world, like I said, there's not a single world champion. There's not a single world record holder. There's not a, there's no one winning Olympic medals. So until those things start happening, all this talk of trans women dominating sports is all premature. Mm. And, um, and, and, and I understand why people assume that because people in their minds can't separate an adult male athlete from a post-op or post-HRT trans there is a huge difference like i said you want it no one's going to doubt that, that taking steroids for a year is going to significantly change your performance but people have a hard idea coming to realize that being on you know suppressing testosterone and taking estrogen for a year does make a significant decrease in performance and, that, and that's the reality of it and, mm-hmm. and then and the thing too is another thing i want to address because this is one of the common arguments as well like they go back to and you know joe rogan brings this up a lot on his podcast this whole thing about males having bigger bigger skeletons bigger frames and how that's a huge advantage in sports the thing is when have you ever heard uh, on espn or somewhere being like oh my god you see that guy skeleton he's (laughs) dominating everybody because his bone density is off the charts it's Mm -hmm. fucking nonsense like and here's that's not you know nobody ever said that's what made kobe great (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly and, he, and here's the thing too you want it you want something very interesting guess what one of the most common arguments against desegregating sports was because african people of african descent have greater bone density so that was a thing that was used to say oh it's not fair we can't have you know people of african descent competing with caucasians they're going to dominate because they have greater bone density and these heavier skeletons same argument that's being used now against trans men was used against them and mm-hmm. here's something fascinating here's the reality of it so let's say let's say that skeletons did make a huge difference and that bone density was this ma- massive factor in athletic performance instead of having classes by male and female we're going to have classes by bone density guess what females of African descent have the same, very similar bone density to Caucasian males and Asian males. So if we were going to group classes to make it fair by bone density, you would have Caucasian and Asian men competing against women of African descent. So it's like this whole idea. So, and and who thinks those women would be dominating against the best, you know, white and Asian athlete, male athletes in the world. Yeah. People would be like, Oh, that's crazy. We can't do that. It's nonsense. (laughs) But yet they're going to throw this argument out there that oh, trans women have bigger skeletons and and greater bone density. They're going to, they're going to smash everybody. And that's why it's not fair. Like I said, it's interesting to to see that that's the same argument that was used Mm -hmm. back when sports were segregated to try to keep it that way. 
But and here's the thing too. Here's another thing. Bone density does change after being on estrogen, and it does slowly start decreasing. It does take about 10 years for it to reach normal female levels, but that bone density does change. And they'll act like, I know, and I hate to keep bringing up Rogan's podcast, but he's just talked about this stuff a lot. And, and it's not that I think he's a terrible guy and that I, I think that like he's you know trying to do all this stuff. He's just had some bad guests on his show that aren't educated and, and he basically a lot of people have talked about things they don't know what they're talking about and have mm-hmm. basically helped to spread a lot of misinformation. Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, I agree. There's definitely yeah. been some guests like that, that, are, that is now known for, you know, well, you yeah. know, that person really had no fucking clue what they were talking about. They're yeah. And there was even, stuff off. Yeah, exactly. And there was even one endocrinologist. And I can't remember if they were actually on the show or just someone they quoted, but this, I can't believe this person's an endocrinologist and actually said that, but they basically claim that trans women, since they had greater bone density as, um, as, a, as a genetic male, and then they'd be taking estrogen, which obviously estrogen supplementation is used to help maintain bone density in postmenopausal women when their own levels have fallen off, they made the leap that giving estrogen to these males is going to give them like super bone density. Like they're going to have the greatest bone density of all time. It's not what happens. <laughs> the bone density decreases to female levels. Like I said, it does take about 10 years, but it's just nonsense. But misinformation like that and, and a listener listening to those shows, you don't know that they're wrong. You don't know that what they're yeah. saying is complete baloney, but that's why I've spent so much time researching all of this to try to find the truth. Well, yeah, like but you yeah, said, that the, 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 research when you look at the high level and the competitiveness and stuff and the results it what they're saying does not yeah reality carry over to that (laughs) if all this stuff was true we should have had a bunch of olympic champions by now we should have had a bunch of world records broken and Mm -hmm. there is like i said there's not been a single open world record there's not been a single olympic champion not a single gold medal and, and, this is, and these rules have been in place since 2004, and they were updated in 2015 before, just for those Olympics, um, before the Olympics in 2016. And they're actually reviewing all this stuff right now, and they're going to come out with new recommendations before this year's Olympics. Well, that is if the Olympics don't get canceled. <laughs> and then there's other things we could talk about, but I think from the information I've shared, I think people get the, you know, understand the, the gist of it. And the reality is that as far as we know, at least so far, it is actually fair for trans women to compete. And that's why no one's smashing anything. Mm-hmm. And sooner or later, there is going to be a trans woman that's going to come along and be a world champion or break a world record because there's going to be one that comes along that is that level of athlete, regardless yeah. of male or female. And that's like mm-hmm. what people ask about me. Like, well, Janae, if you came over and competed in women's powerlifting, wouldn't you break world records? And I'd be like, yeah, I probably would. But guess what? I also broke all the male records. Yeah. Like, I was, like you were at the top. So coming yeah. over and being, being at the top, like that hasn't happened yet. Would it? Like, I, yeah. It's, yeah. And that doesn't necessarily it. relate towards the hormones no, and this and that. It's a lot more of like the discipline, the, the expertise all the, that you have, like all yeah. the other stuff that goes into becoming yeah. a champion, putting all that aside. Right. Well, and the thing is, is like, if I was the best of the best as a, as a male, why wouldn't I be the best of the best as a female? Like that's going to carry out my, will, will yeah. my performance be the same? No, it's not going to be anywhere close. Yeah. You're, you're um, not going to have the same total yeah. that you did at the 220 or no, whatever. But, I'll, but I'm still going to be at that same level, just relative to what the women lift. Yeah. And, and that's why, and people ask, well, why, why aren't you? Cause like when I talked recently about coming back to bodybuilding and competing in the male division, and right now, honestly, at the point I'm at now, that's probably not going to happen. Like I, the competitive part of me really wants to get back into competing, but also I realized after putting a bunch of weight back on, I realized two things. Number one, 
my goals are different now. I don't mm-hmm. feel, I, I loved being 280 pounds before. I don't love that now. That's not like, that's not my primary goal. Mm-hmm. And it caused me a lot of like conflicted feelings with my body when I started putting a lot of size back on. And the other thing is we all know what it requires to compete at that level and to come back and get a pro card and mm-hmm. the kind of hormones and stuff that are going to be required. I, I don't want to put that level of male hormones back in my body. Yeah. It's like honest. going, going the opposite because yeah. You know, yeah, the females it, it, obviously yeah. do that. So it's like, it, yeah. it, I could see the conflicting part. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, and to be totally honest and totally transparent, I have been using over the last few years, I'm still trying to find a balance with this and I'm working with a doctor now, but I've been using a combination of estrogen and some mild androgens to help me maintain some strength, to help keep my body fat low and to help balance things out. Because like I said, being an athlete is a big part of who I am. Because when I went on exclusively estrogen, my strength, not only did my strength plummet like you wouldn't believe, but I also put on a significant amount of body fat. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was the body fat that troubled me more than the strength loss. It was just, I didn't like how I felt. I didn't like how I looked. And mm-hmm. the thing was, it wasn't like, now if it had just gone to like my hips and thighs and given me a more hourglass figure, I would have been totally fine with that. But unfortunately for me, that wasn't what happened. A lot of it went to my stomach. And so I felt like it was like a double whammy. I'm losing all this performance, but then also like going to my stomach, I felt it made me look less feminine. So it was like this double whammy. So then at that point, we backed down my estrogen dose. I started, you know, using some of the really mild androgens to, uh, you know, help balance things out. And so, and that's, so two main reasons that I won't compete as a female. And that's because number one, because I'm still, you know, dabbling in using, you know, androgens and stuff, which that alone makes it unfair, allows me to retain more of my muscle and more of my strength than I would have otherwise if I was only exclusively on um, female hormones for a full year. And then the other thing is too, is I don't want to be, like I said, you pull up the internet, now you see what happens with these women that are competing. And even though they haven't had that level of success, the kind of outcry and rage there is against it, you know, and all these articles titled, you know, yeah, it would instantly are be over. all over. Yeah, I would be the poster child for why trans women, and especially the way I look. Imagine a picture of me looking all jacked on the internet with article, you know, former man smashes real women. Like it, it would be, it'd be used everywhere to rally against transgender athletes and prevent mm-hmm. them from competing. And I don't want to, I don't want to give anyone that opportunity. And, and the thing is, people need to realize too. Even if I do go on exclusively estrogen and everything, and like I said. It would make sense that if I was number one in the world all time as a male, why couldn't I achieve that same level of success as a female? Even if my performance decreases proportionately, I'm still going to be at the very top. Yeah. And, you know, and like I said, I don't want to do anything that number one would harm the sport of powerlifting or, and especially harm transgender athletes. And, and I would be that person. I would be, you know, the thing is I'm the exception. I'm not the rule. I, I would be, you know, I'm that rare athlete in that regard that could have success on both sides of it. And, and unfortunately at this time, if I did that, I think it would be extremely damaging to trans athletes as a whole. And that's why I, people I, yeah, I no don't understand all the stuff that goes along with no, it. would just focus on like, dominate this yeah, one how you dominate be, this one yeah yeah and you know you can imagine that there would be tons of pictures of me anytime i was standing next to another woman and i looked way more jacked than her that picture would get blown up and thrown everywhere it's, it's like what they did with cc telfer the girl who just won the first one to win a national championship the one that d the d2 mm-hmm. 400 meter hurdles cc's a tall thin african-american woman well there's all kinds of pictures of her standing on the starting line next to these short tiny little white girls 
Well, the funny thing is, in most of those pictures, what they don't tell you is the two girls that are on either side of her, the one really popular picture that you see everywhere of her, she lost that race to both those girls. Both those girls beat her. But like looking at that picture, it looks like, yeah, here's this other girl, you know, this tall, imposing African-American woman that is going to, you know, these two little tiny white girls, it makes it look like she's going to dominate them and they have no chance. And here's our thing. This is unfair. Well, the reality mm-hmm. of it is both those girls beat her in that race, but you don't know that by looking at that picture. Yeah. It, it just gets, it implies what they it want it to. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, good representation of, see, it, it's unfair. Just by looking at this, you, you must realize this is unfair. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. Imagine me with a ton of muscles standing somewhere and it would, yeah, it's just, it would be a train wreck. And um, so that's why I won't compete as a woman. And, and that's like when people say, well, you're biased or whatever. And um, yeah, we all have our bias, but like, I really try. And, I, and I'll tell you what, like, so there's a, one thing I want to talk about too. So there's also a movement um, and there's probably some people won't be happy with me for saying this, but there's people that believe people should be able to compete wherever they identify. Now I'm all for people identifying however they want to. Obviously I do. And how I identify makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But the thing is, is that's totally fine. But when it's not fine, at least in my opinion, is when you're affecting things in an unfair way. Mm-hmm. And so to say that as soon as I identify as a woman, that I should immediately be able to jump into competitive sports and start competing. No, that's not fair because there's a reason why males have an advantage. That's yeah. testosterone. And it does provide a significant advantage. And it, you need to have that time. We need to have that year. They need to be on hormones. And we need to make sure that that's happening. You know, we need to make sure that those rules are enforced because there's mm-hmm. a, because in, in right now in the U S it's chaos in high school. They're, they're letting, what they're doing is they're letting it be divided state by state. States make their own rules, which in some instances, that's great. But unfortunately what's happening here, we're seeing states, both ends of the spectrum and a lot of them are getting it wrong. So on mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum, we have states like Texas. They're basically passed some rules that trans athletes can only compete whatever their birth certificate says. Well, this was designed to keep trans women from being able to compete in high school in in the girls' division. Well, it backfired on them. There's a young wrestler named Mac Beggs who's a trans man. So Mac, after his – so he was a good wrestler right from the start. He was in a sport of wrestling. Freshman year goes to states as a woman. Sophomore year goes to states as a woman. And his sophomore year starts taking testosterone, starts transitioning. Well, because of these rules – Mac can't cross over and compete in the boys division. He has to stay in the girls division. Well, next year after being on testosterone for a year, comes back his junior year. Like I said, the kid was already a great wrestler, mm-hmm. you know, going to States as a freshman goes, wins the state championship as a junior. Well now after being on testosterone a year, obviously gained some strength, lost some fat athletic and performance has increased significantly. Kid was already a really good wrestler. Now they're even better. Come back, win a state championship as a junior, wins a state championship as a senior, as a woman. And what happens? Public outcry. This is ridiculous. This is cheating. This person, everyone, the same people that wanted that rule in place now want this poor kid banned from the sport or quote unquote cheating. Yeah. Like you said, it just back, backfired. Backfired on him. And then the thing is, is Mac at that point, by the time they were junior and senior, wanted to compete in the males division, was not allowed to, and was actually competing as a boy. In, outside of the high school season in USA wrestling, which is like the Olympic style wrestling, freestyle and Greco Roman. And by the time he was a senior qualified for the national tournament in the boys division. And then is now wrestling in college at a small college, I believe in Georgia. And uh, he got last I read, he got redshirted his freshman year. So he hasn't actually competed. I think next year will be the first year he'll actually compete on the men's team. But yeah, perfect example of like how that backfired on them. And, uh, and then you've got this poor kid who wants to compete as a boy and can't. 
And, 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 and then for people who are wondering too, like, so with, um, we don't hear much about trans men, right? Cause no one's worried about the girl coming over to compete in the boy side. Yeah. Um, everybody's worried about the other way. Well, the funny thing is, so two good examples. Well, number one, Mac bags, we just talked about the other ones. So people assume that, you know, conversely, if, if trans women have such an advantage that conversely trans men are going to be at a horrible disadvantage, they never should be able to compete with, you know, quote unquote, uh, cis males or quote unquote, real men. Well, guess who the only athlete to make team USA is, and that's transgender, Chris Mosier, who happens to be a trans man. And so no trans women have been able to make the U S team, but a trans man did. He's hmm. a, he's a triathlete. He made it in, he qualified for the U S team in multiple times as a do athlete, which is just the running and biking. It's not the, it's without the swim portion of a triathlon. Okay. So if this is such, you know, if it's so, <clears throat> if hormones don't make a difference or not enough of a difference and it's so like a, a trans man should have no chance to be against the men, but the only athlete in the United States to make an Olympic team as a trans athlete is Chris Mosier, a trans man. Like trying to deny that hormone therapy and these things make a significant difference. Obviously the real world results say otherwise. Yeah. It's, yeah, so. it'll be interesting to really see, like you say, cause it's still so new and not so many people that yeah. over time, will, yeah. like, as it, there's it, more people and they like said, maybe like get it right. And like, well, okay, here's something new. We have to modify uh-huh. it. It, Yeah. There, there might be need some tweaking to the rules and maybe some mm-hmm. of the hormone levels the restrictions and stuff like that. And, and just to finish that thought, I was, you know, I was talking about how the high the, the States with high school athletes are on two ends of the spectrum. So the other side of the spectrum is, there's a number of states, and Connecticut is one of them, that basically decided that as soon as someone identifies as trans or identifies as the opposite gender, they can start competing. Well, now this has caused a big problem because, so there were a couple of trans girls. There's a trans girl in Connecticut that won the state championship in the 100-meter sprint as a junior. Uh, and then there was another girl the same year. She took fourth place in the same race. So if you had first and fourth were two trans girls, and the thing is, and, and I do believe there's, I don't really know, like, and I've tried to find this out and have not figured out. And I don't know if anybody really knows other than the girls themselves, but like when they started hormones, how long they'd been on them and at what point, you know, had they been on the hormones and you know how they would have done. And I know like her senior year, the girl who won the state championships did not repeat her senior year. And I believe she got disqualified. Like she jumped at the starting line or whatever and ended up getting disqualified. But there was a big outcry. There's actually a lawsuit going on because of it, because the parents of the girls that um, this girl beat, they've taken it to court and said, oh, and what they said probably was like, we don't have any problem with her identifying as a woman. We don't have any problem with her being trans, but we do have a problem with her competing, beating our daughters and taking away their chances of college scholarships. Now, mm-hmm. part of it, there's some holes there too. First of all, in a sport like track, or, you know, shot put or anything that's based on or like lifting or anything that's based on numbers and not like a team sport that's just based on score. College recruiters don't look at, they don't care who won a state championship. They're only looking at how fast you are because they know there's, there's athletes in one state that might've taken third place in a very competitive state that would smoke a state, bunch of state champions from other places. So like in that element, like that's not going to hurt your kids recruiting chances because they don't care what you placed at states and they don't care you know, they only care about your times. How fast are you? How far can you throw a shot put? How far can you throw a discus? But I would understand though too, but I do understand the frustration. Let's say it was a girl who hadn't been on hormones at all. She says, I'm trans. Two weeks later, she's competing. 
And, and there's this other girl who's been training for like the last eight years of her life to win a state championship and boom, gets beaten by this girl at the state championship. Yeah. Well, I both, think that's fair. Both, both yeah. sides of the spectrum are like, yeah, you know, it, it's an extreme yeah. on one, one side or the other. And I think the biggest it, thing is it's finding, like you said, with, with the NCAA or the, the Olympic committee having some yeah. form of a, here's how it's got to start. And then figuring yeah, it out and, from there. Like it's a baseline yeah. that makes sense and then as you get more data and figure things out like maybe adjust yeah. it accordingly yeah exactly exactly and, and we need and we need to have rules in high school and they need to figure out how they how they're going to be enforced and you know whether that's and i understand there's not a lot of funding in high school to you know we can't afford to be drug testing uh, you know tons of people and stuff like that or testing for hormone levels but what we could do is it's the you know the, it's on the it's the responsibility of the athlete to have hormone levels drawn by their doctor because that's normal anyway that's something when you're on hormone therapy you have done anyway so we could do something along the lines of we you need to show baseline hormone results um you know and then when you first start them and you need to demonstrate that your levels are within a normal female range for a full year before you can compete you know, and unfortunately, is that does that mean some trans girls might have to sit out of sports for a year in high school? Yeah, but what are we going to do? You can't have, and this also prevents. Um, I, I don't know if you heard about this. The rapper, I believe his name is Zuby. I don't know if you heard this. Like he claimed what he did. He was just trying to make a point, and I get the point he was making. But what he did was he said basically, I identify as female, and then he went in the gym and like exceeded the women's world record in the deadlift in his weight class or whatever, mm-hmm. and then said, Oh, I, now I own all the women's world records. But which is nonsense. But at the same time, he was making a point that if we yeah. don't have some kind of rule, if people can just say they identify, what's to stop someone? The thing is, a real trans girl. Number one, they want to be on hormones. Number two, you know, they're trying to do everything they can. They tend to transition. So the odds of them doing this kind of stuff just to win something are very, very slim. Yeah. It's going to be more people that want to want to game the system and you, stuff really. Yeah. And there could be somebody and more, more likely, well, first of all, no one's going to transition, you know, cause there's been, the, there's been people, um, you know, posturing the idea that, you know, okay. So what if you get some guy who's not trans, but decides I'm going to smash all the women's world records just to be an Olympic champion and get all this fame and fortune. Well, yeah. first of all, that's a terrible, first of all, no one is going to put their body through tra- transitions, an extremely difficult process, both mentally and physically. And no one is going to change their gender really. Like, you know, even the, the even if you didn't have any of the surgeries, being on female hormones for a year is going to change your body a ton. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's going to change how you feel. It's going to change a lot of things. And yeah, no, it's no, it's no simple, tiny task yeah. or, or anything. No, uh, yeah. You, you tell me that someone's going to want to grow a full set of breasts and, you know, lose all this muscle mass, have their body fat re, you know, redistribute and live in public as a woman for a minimum of one year before they can even start competing. And then to do this, to win, uh, to claim fame in a woman's sport. First of all, we all know, in all the sports except CrossFit, the women are not treated anywhere near the same as men as far as prize money, notoriety, sponsorship, mm-hmm. you know, um, opportunities. And do you think, and if you're thinking like doing this as a trans woman is going to bring you a ton of attention, oh, it's going to bring you attention, all right, but not good attention. No, it's going to bring you a ton of negative it. attention. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the idea that someone would do this, like game the system to, to be a women's world championship if they weren't truly trans is, is preposterous. There's way too much downside. There's no real upside. Do you think Nike's going to come knocking on your door like the first time you do that? Like, and especially if you're someone who really isn't trans? No, not going to happen. So the yeah. idea of somebody doing that, but we do need to prevent things from like what Zuby did. 
and like I said, and to make it fair for high school athletes, there do need to be some kind of rules in place. And so far, those rules look like they need to be the same thing the IOC and NCAA are doing. And there's some other world governing bodies that are, have adopted very similar rules. There needs to be some kind of testing in place. There needs to be something, like I said, with high school athletes, you know, my idea would be to, you know, require the athletes to show hormone levels from their doctor because mm-hmm. they need to be on, they need to be on this therapy anyway. Yeah. And just those, those just having, having that baseline yeah. and stuff. And I think, you know, yeah, us just yeah. going down this path, you know, it's, you know, we, we probably nobody probably expected us to talk as in depth and stuff as, as we did. And, and if they want to find out more, you know, we'll coming up here, we'll, we'll, kind of plug plug where people can go to more but really i think they have a better understanding now of things that just weren't out there so i'm glad we you know we definitely went down that path for sure i just i really it's an area i'm passionate about and i, yeah. I just think oh, I said, yeah. there's so much misinformation and disinformation and you know like i said i'm just about the truth now if you like i said five years from now if we have a bunch of let's say a bunch of trans women athletes come on the scene and they're and they're smashing records at a disproportionate rate I'll be the first person to admit we need to revisit this and we need to figure out what is the fair way to do this. But yeah. like I said, for what that we know just now, hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As the evidence we have, and as the women that are out there competing, it does appear to be fair. And then we just went over all the reasons why. So. Where, so, so when that article comes out and then I know you got the YouTube channel and all that stuff, where, where can people go to just find out more about all the stuff they have coming out now? Okay. Well, I will definitely be doing, yeah. So I have my new YouTube channel, which is under Janae Marie Crock. If you, um, and Janae is J A N A E and Crock is like the first four letters of my last name. It's K R O C. Um, a lot of people think it just starts with a C like crocodile, but it's actually K because it's the first part of my last name. But Janae Marie Croc on, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, and I am on Twitter, but Instagram and YouTube is where you'll see me most active. I'm really putting a lot of effort in my YouTube channel. In addition to the article, I'm also going to do a YouTube video explaining all the same stuff we talked about, but in a real concise manner, go over all the important points and put this all together to make it easy for people to understand. And then also I have my website, JanaeCrock.com, and I'm going to be posting a, a blog on there with all these articles that I'm writing and there'll be other topics and stuff too. But um, as soon as this article is done and ready, which should be within the next couple of weeks, it'll be posted on there. And um, yeah, so anyone who's interested in following me and learning more about this stuff, Janae Marie Crock on all your social media and JanaeCrock.com. And, awesome. Um, yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know, I know you spent a lot of time and we went down a lot of paths and, you know, some people, like I said, I knew at the beginning, you know, they're either going to, you know, they're here at the end of this and we're really interested or like right away, like, no, this isn't really for me. And they, they're just not ready to kind of hear it sure. or at, at certain parts. So like, nope, you know, I, I've heard enough, yeah. but, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody that is still here listening and, you know, and I appreciate all the time you took to go over everything. Yeah, I I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share my story and to talk about things that I think are very important and affect a lot of people's lives and and hopefully educate and enlighten some of this stuff and, and, you know, get rid of some of the lies and the misinformation. Yeah. So thank you for that opportunity. And, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And thank you guys as always. So, you know, if you, if you like this, share it with anybody, you know, give us comments, give us a rating on YouTube, everything, and then definitely check out all the stuff Janae has coming out from the articles to the YouTube videos and everything. And again, really appreciate you guys and stay tuned for another episode. And again, thanks so much, Janae. Thank you. See you guys. 